Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning and welcome into RP3 and Company. I, uh, of course, am not RP3. I'm Nick Fontenot. I'm here hosting on this wonderful Friday morning with the producer, Hannah Five Names. Hannah, we started the morning off with some Starbies. We did. Do you ever start the morning off with Starbies and Ray's here? No. That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's usually that's- sunflower seeds or, <laughs> or like chips. That's what kind of morning it's going to be. Um, this is... The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. My first time hosting since the name change, since 1041 Lake Charles uh, came into the fold. So welcome in to everyone listening in Lake Charles. We're broadcasting live from the uh, from the game studios here in Upper Lafayette. And we have uh, a big one today for you. It's going to be it's going to be fun. Now, yesterday, Hannah texted me. She's like, hey, uh, what you got planned for the show? Like, what's the prep? We just wing it, man. That's what we do. We wing it whenever I'm here. We're, there's no prep. We just, listen, there's not a whole lot that I know about. There's not a whole lot that I'm cut out for in this world. But writing about sports and talking about sports, I can do both of those. I can, I can wake up in the morning, need no preparation, and do that. So that's what we're going to do today. The hotline is 337 706 Zero one one one. You can call in and talk about uh, anything you like. It's wide open today uh, at seven o'clock. James Yasko is going to come in. We're going to talk a little Astros with James, but mostly we're going to hit some Premier League soccer. Hannah, you suggested that we talk about Premier League soccer with James. What 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 gives there? I don't know why, but I'm ready to do it. Hear me now. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha now. <laughs> uh, so usually we talk about Astros, and at the end, Ray goes, oh, sorry, James, you didn't talk about that Premier League soccer. Oh, oh no. Just like we do the same thing with everything else that you care for, that Ray doesn't care for as much as you do. <laughs> so I was like, oh, perfect. I think Nick likes soccer. Yeah. So you know what, Ray? Forget your Astros. Yeah, 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 we're talking yeah. about <laughs> soccer and everything we like that you don't exactly want to talk about. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the Astros right now because that's the hot story of the day, right? Uh, so we'll talk a little Astros. I asked James what he thinks about this Yankee stuff, but we're going to talk some Premier League soccer. So if you're into that, uh, a little bit after 7 o'clock, we're going to bring James on and talk about that. The Astros, man, a big day yesterday for the Houston Astros, taking two from the Yankees, both games. Now, you know, I, I'm a gambler, so I was looking at it from a gambling aspect, and I thought that the Astros were going to win game one, so I picked them to win game one, and then for game two, I had actually picked the Yankees, so I got that wrong. So the Astros sweep the Yankees. That means they win – the season series, and it sure looks like we are on a crash course for Astros Yankees to meet in the ALCS, and so that's the big story today. Is like, how much does that matter that the that the Yankees dropped both games yesterday, and not only that, but the Astros win the series. So Aaron Boone, who is the manager for the Yankees, comes out immediately after the game and says, "You know, it doesn't matter." Of course, that's what he's supposed to say. Right. It doesn't matter if it's not in October, and. To a certain extent, I'd say he's right. But you got to think about the Yankees haven't won the World Series since 2009. They haven't even been to the World Series since 2009. The Astros are like perennial powers. They won the World Series. They've been to the World Series twice since. Like, 
this team is the, what the Yankees used to be. The Astros are always good. The Astros are always there. That That's what the Astros are. It's like we have this idea of what the New York Yankees are. It's what they used to be. It's not what they are anymore. It's been a long time since the Yankees have won anything significant. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros, they're, they're steady winning. Steady winning playoff series, making World Series, winning World Series. Say whatever you want about the trash cans or whatever situation happened in 2017. They got it done. They won a World Series. And you know what? The Yankees could have won a World Series doing that. They would have done it too, but they didn't. The Astros are the benchmark for the American League right now, period. And right now they're playing as good as any team in the league. Taking two from the Yankees I think is a big deal. I think the Yankees needed to split. I really do. It's all about the mentality of moving forward. Can I beat this juggernaut team? That's what the Astros are. It's not the Yankees. The Yankees are not the juggernaut. I still think that a lot of people feel like the Yankees are the juggernaut in this league, in the entire major leagues. The Yankees are not. They can't get it done. They don't get it done. Now, they're really good. Yankees are a really good team. The Yankees are the second best team in the American League behind the Astros. I mean, that's just it. I don't care that their record's better. I don't care that they're going to win the American League East and maybe be the one seed and have home field advantage in the playoffs. The Yankees may do all those things. The Astros are the best team in the American League. They're the defending American League champions. They've won a World Series more recently than the Ast- than the Yankees. They're better than the Yankees, and I think the Yankees needed to win one of those games yesterday. And so that's where we are with that as far as the Astros and Yankees go. Put that to bed, and let's move forward to this weekend series. Hannah's Seattle Mariners play host to the Astros uh, this weekend. Tough. I think it's tough. Today's game is going to be the toughest for the Astros, and it's, it's an obvious reason why. The Astros still may beat the Mariners. The Mariners are on a 14-game winning streak. Let's not forget that. They went into the All-Star break winning 14 in a row. Mariners are hot. Not only that, Julio Rodriguez had a hell of a showing in the home run derby, making the finals, almost winning it, ran into Juan Soto. I liked Julio Rodriguez. If you remember last Friday, I thought he was a good pick to win the home run derby at 10-1. to He was plus 1,000. I thought that was a good value. And if you took that bet, maybe cashed out before the finals, you probably won some pretty good money there on Julio Rodriguez. But he he had a good showing in the home run derby, kind of riding that momentum of the entire team, riding the Mariners' momentum. We know the story about the Mariners. They have the longest playoff drought in the league. I think it's 21 years they haven't been in the playoffs. Every team in the league has been to the playoffs since – the Mariners have. We're talking about the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Kansas City Royals have a World Series since the Mariners have, have made the playoffs. And if we're talk, we're remembering those early teams from the 90s with, with Ken Griffey and Alex Rodriguez and Randy Johnson. I mean, this was a team that was one of the powers of the American League. They haven't been to the playoffs in 21 years. They're trying to get over that hump. In their way, of course, is the Astros. Today's game is an interesting one, right? The Astros played two games yesterday. They played two against the Yankees, one in the afternoon, and then they played one, I think it was early evening. It started at about 5. So it ended at about 9 o'clock. So the Astros played two games yesterday. They're flying all the way to Seattle to play a game against the Mariners. What were the Mariners doing yesterday? 
Nothing. Chilling. <laughs> you were chilling like villains. Whatever they Haven't wanted, right? They were they were hanging out with their families. Maybe they popped on the maybe they popped on the Astros game and they go, huh? Yeah, they're they're playing they're playing their second game. They're winning. Okay, whatever. We're we're chilling. They flew. They were either in Seattle for the entire All Star break or any of the All Stars flew back to Seattle on Wednesday. Had a nice day of relaxation and now they're sitting at home waiting for the Astros to come in. So. Tonight's game is interesting. I'm looking at the line already, the betting line on the game. The Mariners are the underdog. Astros minus 130. Mariners are plus 100, so it would be even money if you bet on the Mariners. An interesting spot for the gamblers out there to maybe look at the Mariners because, man, the Astros, not only did they play two yesterday, they played two against the Yankees. That is a grueling series mentally. For the Astros, to play the Yankees, the team that, say what you want about the divisions, you want to win your division, but the team that the Astros are chasing and the team that the Astros are competing against are the Yankees. Those are the two teams that are on a crash course, like we said earlier, to get to the ALCS. And they played the series yesterday, the two-game series, the doubleheader, and they won both games. It's it's exhausting to play two games on its own, not only that, but you're playing against the Yankees. You're giving it your all. You know they gave it their all. They gave 100% in that game. Sometimes you can see in baseball series, especially you know in the middle of July, you're in that summer, just rolling through the summer schedule of baseball, and you can see some of these players not giving it their all, maybe taking some, some plays off, maybe even taking entire games off where they're just not giving it everything. That's not what happened yesterday. Both of these teams were giving it at all. I mean, the Astros were up like 7-0 or 5-0, ended up winning 7-5, so that the Yankees were, were coming out playing hard too. Both of these teams played really hard. Now they got to fight all the way to Seattle, which is brutal. That is a brutal flight to go from Houston to Seattle and play a game the day after playing two. I like the Mariners in that spot, and, and the Mariners are hot right now, winning 14 in a row. So if you're a gambler, look at that Astros-Mariners game today. I still think the Astros maybe get it done. You know what else I don't like about the Astros today? They're pitching Urquidy. I do not trust mm-hmm. him. Anytime he's on the mound, I, I just I don't trust him. He's not the best guy that I want on the mound. Hannah, um, we have a poll question that we yeah. put together to the listeners. You can give us the poll <laughs> question and, uh, and let us know what you think about the Mariners series this weekend. So our poll question of the day is, will the Mariners' streak be broken by the Astros this weekend? Duh, of course. No, don't break five names. Or maybe. So right now leading it, you have as 43% duh, of course, and then a tie of 29% for don't break me and maybe. Now, I won. The game today is actually uh, sold out. It actually was brought up in an announcement that it was sold out on, like, Tuesday. So before the All-Star game even started, they went and they already had <laughs> sold out all the seats. So it's matter what's going to be a hyped-up game. I think I'm myself, I'm a little iffy on the game that we're going to win today because we are on such a hot streak and that everyone wants us, you know, everyone wants us to see us fall. They don't want to see us fall because they know that we're like this, you know, yuck yuck team down here at the bottom and we just close the gap we play against weak players. I mean, yeah, we may play against weak opponents for the Astros, but it's not weak opponents for the, the Mariners. Like, playing that four-game series against the Rangers – my heart was beating so fast out of my chest. It was unreal for all four games because that is our equal opponent. It may not be an equal opponent for the Astros, but it's not a weak one for us. 
which I don't think we'll get. They're like, oh, you're playing against weak opponents. Yes, for the Astros, but it's not for the Mariners because we're not as good as the Astros are. The Mariners are coming up. Right. The Mariners have to learn how to win those series and win those games. And you can say what you want about, about the Mariners, but 14 in a row, that's nothing to scoff at. And you're looking at their record, 51 and 42. That means if you subtract the 14, they were 37 and 42 before this series started. They're five games below 500. You're five games below 500 in July. You're thinking, well, it's on the next season. And just right. like that, you win 14 in a row. You go on one of these streaks. The exact same thing happened with the Orioles. And now the Orioles are, of course, in the best team, the best uh, division in baseball. So they probably have no chance to make the playoffs. But now they're two games over 500. You go on these long streaks. A series win against the Astros would go a long way to maybe not winning a World Series. You know, no. You're not there yet. You got to learn how to win first. Yeah, there's, there's. I don't, I'm not seeing a way where we actually will win the World yeah. Series or win the ALCS to go over the Astros. There's, that's not happening. But I honestly don't think that's the goal for the Mariners right no. now. They got to get <laughs> this hump off their back of not making the playoffs. And I think a good way to do that would be to take two or three from the Astros. If you can take two or three from the Astros, the Astros are in a perfect spot right now for the Mariners to take two or three. Mariners are hot. Winning 14 in a row. The Astros just played two tough games against the New York Yankees and won them. A doubleheader yesterday, and they're going to Seattle. I think if the Mariners take game one, I think they're going to take one of the next two. And I know there's a lot of Astros fans that probably don't like to hear that, but if the Mariners take two of three, they're not going to win in the division. They're 10 games back of the Astros. The Astros, the, the, no. the AL West is in the bag. I don't think anybody's catching the Astros. But if the Mariners can take two of three this weekend from the Astros, I just think that goes a long way overall for the Mariners, for them to just become a, a winning team again. And they have some young talent, man. Julio Rodriguez is very impressive. Oh, yeah. He looked great at the Home Run Derby, and it was very fun to watch. And it was very fun to see these young guys in the Home Run Derby, like like Soto and, and Rodriguez and, and those guys that are going to kind of carry the torch for the entire league. But. Julio Rodriguez is something special, and that's something they have something going in Seattle. I don't know if before this streak anybody in Seattle thought they had something going, but now that you're behind the streak and you went into the break in the streak, I don't know if you sweep the Astros and keep the streak going, but just winning this series would be a huge win. So Right. We'll and see also, if- it puts us one closer, not really one closer, but we only have two series left against the Astros. We have this three-game series, and then the last one, the end of July, we have a four-game series against them. If we do, if we win both series, I'm not sure we're going to sweep them for both of them. But if we at least win both series against the Astros, we will be five to one against the Astros in series. So we would win no matter what for our series. This is a big against one. the Astros. This weekend is big for 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 the Mariners. It's not big for the Astros. So that's why I think the Mariners are in a good spot uh, this weekend. Now, you know, Astros fans they wouldn't want to win every game, and everybody wants right. to win every game. But the Mariners are in a great spot this weekend because I think the Astros, I don't want to say they don't care about the Mariners or they don't care about this series because they do. They want to win them. But all of the energy and effort went into the Yankees. They beat the Yankees. They did their job because they're competing for a World Series. The Mariners are not. The Mariners are just, it's pretty much Mariners against themselves trying to get over that hump. And I think winning this series starts Tonight, Mariners plus 100, that's the play. That's the play tonight. I, everything is shaping up for the Mariners to win this game today, and then we'll see what happens on, on Saturday and Sunday. I think those games can go either way. Once the Astros fly to Seattle, get their legs under them. Now, look, 
The Astros win today. I, I don't. I don't like. I don't like the Mariners to win Saturday or Sunday. I think they're going to get swept. That the Mariners have to win today. Today's game is big. I think the winner of this game wins the series. But I think if the Mariners lose this game because everything is stacked up against the Astros on this game, the Mariners lose today. I think they're going to be in trouble. 706-0111-337. 706-0111. We're talking Astros. We're going to talk about the Saints. We're going to talk to Ray about uh, SEC Media Days. My questions for Ray about SEC Media Days is just going to be about SEC Media Days. I don't care what Jimbo Fisher said or Nick Saban said. or I care a little bit what Brian Kelly said because that's my team. But, you know, I don't care what these guys had to say. I don't care what Bob Stoops has to say. They're, they're, they're all giving you coach talk. I don't even understand why this SEC Media Days things exist. And Sunbelt Media Days next week, um, all these conferences are having these Media Days. I don't really get it. Like, I don't understand why we're having this stuff. So we'll just um, we'll, we'll see what happens with Ray. We'll go, in, we'll go into the break, and we'll come back. It's RP3 and company on 103.7 The Game. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm Nick Fondo. I have to remember that I am at 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. I have to I have to drill that into my brain because you know, for years it was one zero three seven. The game. That's just what we said. And when I'd come in and guest host every now and then, that's how we we said it. And so that's how I ended the last segment. I'm going to be better. I'm going to remember <laughs> our friends in Lake Charles. I promise. I'm not going to do that again. Also, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast stadium thirty two point three and on one thirty three on LUS Fiber. So you can see me in beautiful Technicolor uh, <laughs> on the screen. And <laughs> I don't know if uh, you guys know this, but I can see myself. Like, I, if I'm looking straight ahead, there's a camera, and then I see myself straight ahead, but it's on a delay. So every now and then when I say something stupid or do something stupid or make a dumb facial expression, which I do from time to time, I always look up on the TV to see it because it's like seven or eight seconds behind. So I'm always like, man, why did you make that face? <laughs> oh, why yeah. Did you do that? I do it. I like doing it when, like, we'll be on commercial break, and then we're coming back, and you'll see Ray, and he'll be, like, dancing or something. So I can click it early <laughs> and so that you get, you know, him dancing on TV, but he doesn't know it. And so like eight seconds later, then you go and you see, oh, my God, starts laughing at himself because he's now just seeing what I already saw already. OK, so now I know no dancing. I will not be <laughs> dancing because I do not want to be on the TV uh, dancing on uh, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 LA Charles. Let's talk about the Saints a little bit because that's what uh, we like to do around here. And the Saints are my favorite team. So. Um, we're going to hit some some points about the Saints, and I will uh, just come out and say it. I think the Saints have enough to win the Super Bowl. I really do. I, I think that they are a team that can do that. Here's what makes me nervous about that prediction, though, and I'm not predicting them to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm just saying they have enough to get it done. They have a team that is built to win a Super Bowl. Now, I think there's some teams that's better than them, 
I, I think you're still chasing the Bucks. I think the Bucks are a little bit better now. Of course, we own the Bucks. We beat the Bucks every time we play them. So I'm not worried about Saints versus Bucks. I'm just worried about the division as a whole, the NFC as a whole, trying to chase those teams that are just a little bit better uh, than us at winning games. Because if you you can beat the Bucks twice like we did last year and still not make the playoffs, meanwhile the Bucks win the division. So it's not about Saints versus Bucks. I don't. I'm not scared of the Bucks. I don't worry about them as far as head to head. I just worry about their role in the NFC, their place in the division, and where the Saints come in. What makes me nervous about the Saints and their upcoming season and what they may or may not do is that I genuinely believe this. Like, I genuinely believe that the Saints have enough to win a Super Bowl. The Saints are built to win now. Their roster is great. But nobody on a national level is is on that is talking about that. Everybody on the national level is, I don't want to say disrespecting the Saints, but definitely not putting a lot of value into what they did this offseason. And so that worries me because most times when I'm an outlier like that or there's not a whole lot of people in my camp or a whole lot of people believing or saying what I think, I'm usually wrong. I'm no stranger to being wrong. I can be wrong. I'm right a lot, but I'm also wrong. And uh, and I've been wrong about the Saints before. I've been wrong about a lot. But I don't think I'm wrong here. I think the Saints are going to win the division. I think they're good enough to be a one or two seed in the NFC. And I think that they are going to make a run of the Super Bowl. You look at this defense and what they did. They lost Marcus Williams. They added Tyron Matthew. The matting ratings came out which you can discount if you want. But the Madden ratings came out. Tyron Matthews is the number one safety in the league. He's now a New Orleans Saint. The linebacker ratings came out. Fred Werner from the 49ers is the number one rated linebacker in the league. DeMario Davis is number two. They have the second best linebacker in the entire league is on this defense. And I would argue that he's the best. I mean, Fred Werner is not better than DeMario Davis. He's just not... I think it goes to something that we've always said about the national media and our local teams, right? They're not watching these games. They're not paying attention to these teams. And so we as fans and the local media and people following this team, we know way more about the Saints than they do. We just do. Right. We're following them. We're studying them. We're reading about them. We know more than they do. But they're not idiots. Like, the national media is not oblivious. They're not not covering the Saints. They're not just ignoring the Saints. They have an eye on all the teams. And so they're not paying close attention to the Saints, but you would think that what the Saints have done in the offseason would be enough to get some attention from some national people, to get them on the radar, to get people talking about the Saints as an NFC power. But they're not. And so the fact that I feel so strongly about the Saints making a run at a Super Bowl and making a run at the NFC, it worries me because nobody else shares my opinion. Now, there's some other people locally that share my opinion. I think Kevin Foote shares my opinion, but he always thinks the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I've never, I, mean yeah. I don't remember a year <laughs> where, you know, Foote's looking at the team and being like, ah, they're going to go seven and nine. Like, I've never heard him say that. He always thinks they're going to win the Super Bowl, and, which is fine. But, you know, they've only have, they only have one Super Bowl appearance in the entire history. So he's been wrong 56 times to this point. 
I mean, you also have, though, is that one thing that's been a really big topic is the healthy. Like, who's going to be healthy? Will everyone be healthy? And now they have reports that came out just yesterday that Michael Thomas, as well as Marcus Davenport, are both joining on the physically unable to perform list to start training camp. Which I is- saw that. <laughs> I saw that. And, and I had someone, one of my friends texted me. See, in, in, the, in the friends group, I'm like the sports guy. So anything happens sports-wise, like there's some casual sports fans and everybody texts me to find out what my opinion is on sports stuff. And these people that I respect a lot and I, I value their opinion and I don't think that they're, uh, you know, dumb. They're smart people. This is a smart individual who texted me this. He's like, man, is Michael Thomas ever going to play? I'm like, man. There's, there's, we're six weeks from the season, like we're we're right. a long way from the season. The season is we're not even close. He's on the physically able to perform list for training camp. He's on the physically able to perform list maybe for some preseason games, but when the regular season rolls around, we're in July. The season's not until September. Relax. I think Davenport and Thomas are going to be fine. I think everyone's going to be healthy. Now, are these injuries going to linger? It's Probably. possible. It's possible. Right, Michael Thomas hasn't played competitive football in we can pretty much say two years. So how's he gonna be when he comes back? Am I completely discounting the loss of Sean Payton? Of course not. That's going to be huge. That's going to be huge. And and I, I've talked I've talked to Foot off the air about how much he is discounting the loss of Sean Payton. How he thinks it's not a big deal. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be able to catch on. I think Dennis Allen learned enough from Sean Payton. Maybe it's not going to be a huge loss, but make no mistake about it, they are going to miss Sean Payton. We're going to miss Sean Payton as fans, and the team's going to miss Sean Payton. Sean Payton is arguably the best coach in the league, top three at worst. You lost a top three head coach in the NFL. That's going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to be some growing pains as we get used to Dennis Allen. So I'm not I'm not I'm not sitting here saying the Saints are the best team in the NFC. I'm not sitting here saying that we're not going to have any any lumps or bumps in the road next year, but I do think the Saints are going to win 10 games. I think the Saints have a chance to win 12 games. Like I don't understand why Vegas has a set at an 8 right now. The Saints haven't won fewer than 7 games aside from the Katrina year since the 90s. Like the Saints don't lose a lot of games. The Saints' worst season, aside from the Katrina year, is 7-9. and nine. So, pencil the Saints in for seven wins automatically. No matter how bad you think they are, no matter how bad you think Jameis Winston's going to be, no matter how much you don't believe in him, pencil them in for seven wins. That, that's a guarantee. Seven wins right now. You're telling me that after you pencil them in for seven, you can't find three more wins on the schedule? I can I can do it. I can go down and, and find you the teams they're going to lose to, find you the teams they're going to beat, and find you the teams they're going to uh, struggle against. Because we follow the team day to day, every year. We're following this team, and we know exactly what they're going to do. So I'm very interested to find out what you guys think. Three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. I'm interested to find out how you guys feel about the Saints. Because am I on an island here? Am I alone? in thinking that the Saints are going to make a run at the NFC? Or is it just a, a case of, well, the national media doesn't know what they're talking about? Because we can we can say that all we want. 
And it's a good talking point, especially when you're watching the game and you got somebody like Troy Aikman who makes a, a silly comment. And you're like, dude, do you even watch these games? Do you even know anything about Demario Davis? Like Demario Davis makes a great play and they're like, oh my God, Demario Davis. I'm like, dude's been doing that since he came to New Orleans. He does it every game. Like it's not at this point, it's not even it's not even noteworthy when he makes a good play. I'm not even shocked when he makes a good play because I'm like, well, that's what Demario Davis does. He just makes good plays. We almost take it for granted that he's going to be around the ball somewhere. He's going to make good plays. And he gets the second-best rating in Madden. Marshawn Lattimore, the sixth-best-rated cornerback, all on this team. Do the Saints have a chance to win the NFC? Let me know, 337-706-0111. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the Pelicans and let you know why it's the exact same thing going on with the Pelicans that's going on with the Saints. It's game 137 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Burt Kreischer is coming to the Cajun Dome. You've seen him on TV. You've also listened to his podcast. I love Two Bears, One Cave podcast. I mean, it's one of my favorites. It's hilarious. Him and Tom Segura, great podcast. He's coming to the Cajun Dome. You can see him live in person on September 16th, and you can do so with a text. So score tickets. Join the Games Text Club by texting BERT, B-E-R-T, to 337-283-8100. That's BERT to 337-283-8100. Once you're a member of the clubhouse, you'll be eligible to win the tickets to see Burt Kreischer live at the Cajun Dome, courtesy of the game's text club. Before the break, we were talking about the Saints and their disrespect, complete and total disrespect from the national media. And it's not surprising, that's not surprising that the Saints are being disrespected by the national media. It always happens. Happens every single year. So I'm not surprised by it. I'm just surprised by the complete zero credit or zero predictions that we're getting from the national media saying the Saints are going to make the playoffs. The Saints are going to make a run at the NFC. And I'm not talking about somebody like Dan Orlovsky who comes out and says it as a hot take. right? Somebody could be, hey, the Saints are going to make the playoffs, and the whole panel goes, oh, what are you talking about? Because it's some kind of hot take. Like he's out in left field making this wild prediction that the Saints are going to make the playoffs. Like it's so crazy to think about or so crazy to say on a national show that the lowly New Orleans Saints are going to make the playoffs. I'm not talking about that. Yes, we've heard. I've heard some guys say it like hot takey. Like, hey, I got a hot take. I got a bold prediction. The Saints are going to make the playoffs. And then it just the, the entire show just shuts down and, and blows up and goes into flames because it's such a hot take. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who comes out and genuinely predicts the Saints are going to make the playoffs. The Saints are going to win the NFC South. That's just not happening. It's also not happening across the street at a Smoothie King Center. It's also not happening with the New Orleans Pelicans. And I am in the same exact boat with the Saints that I'm in with the Pelicans. A national disrespect for the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, it's a lot different. A lot different um, situation for the two teams. The Saints were a perennial power, especially when Breeze was the quarterback. With Breeze and Peyton, the Saints were in the playoffs every year, making runs at Super Bowls. Probably should have had three, ended up with one. 
you know, they were a have, if you will. We talk about haves and have-nots. The Saints were up there and making runs at Super Bowls and winning playoffs. The Pelicans haven't been there. Since the name change from the Pelicans, they've only won a couple of playoff series, only made the playoffs a few times, and a lot of a lot of one, one and outs, a lot of eight seeds, losing to one seeds, right? That's where the Pelicans always are, struggling to make the playoffs, and then once you make the playoffs, losing in the first round. They had the sweep, the sweep of Portland uh, four or five years ago. But other than that, that's where the Pelicans are. So I more understand the national disrespect for the New Orleans Pelicans. That makes more sense to me than the disrespect for the Saints, giving the Saints no credit. But I genuinely think the Pelicans are going to make a run. Like, I think they're going to make a run at the Western Conference. I think they're a championship contender this year. C.J. McCollum, with a full year of playing with Brandon Ingram and Zion, running that offense with those three. We're not even going to talk about the rookies from last year coming into their second year, Jose Alvarado and Trey Murphy, and those guys becoming more of a veteran type of feel around those guys. Trey Murphy took a while to get going in the NBA. It was probably mid-season before he found that three-pointer that we all thought he had at Virginia, that he was going to come in and rain threes. I thought he had a chance to win Rookie of the Year. That's what I thought he was going to be. Right when they took Trey Murphy, I was excited. took him a while to get going. He got it going. Got it going at the end. Definitely had it going in the playoffs. An exciting bench player to come in, knock down some shots, get hot at the end. What more can you say about Jose Alvarado? Probably the the most fun player, he was the funnest player to watch. When he's on the court, I'm watching him. And I don't care who's on the court. I don't care what big-name star is going to be on the court. I'm watching Jose Alvarado, an exciting player, and he's effective, very effective defensively. Nice scorer. He can get you six, eight, ten points if you need it. Knock down a couple of shots. Very exciting player. But let's talk about the big three. Let's talk about the big three for the Pelicans, Right? It's Bacallum, it's B.I., and it's Zion. Who's better? Name a better, better big three in this league. Now, you could say Giannis and Middleton and Drew Holiday over in Milwaukee. That's the only one that I could think of. But there's no better big three in the league. Look, Chris Paul and, and DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, they're not better than the Pelicans' big three. Look at the Warriors. They just won a championship. Steph and Clay and Draymond, they're not better than the Pelicans' big three. Steph is a fantastic shooter. Clay is a fantastic shooter. And they have been playing together for a long time. And they work well with each other. And I'm not saying that the Pelicans as a team are better than the Warriors. They're not. They have a long way to go. But I think they've taken a step. Zion Williamson played zero Minutes for the Pelicans last year, and they made the playoffs. And they took the Suns to the brink, man. The Suns were feeling it, and the Pelicans were feeling it too. And I think that momentum is going to take them into this season. But a full season of C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson playing together, figuring out that offense, I think it's going to be rocky at the beginning. I think the first 20 games are going to be rocky. I think they're going to go 
six and fourteen, seven, eight and twelve, something like that in the first twenty. So I'm not I'm not saying they're gonna win sixty games and be the one seed. But they are gonna make a run. And pay attention to the Pelicans this year. And when you ask the national media to talk about well, who do we like in the West? Nobody is mentioning the Pelicans. Now I know they were the play-in winner, nine seed, eight seed. They had to struggle to get into the playoffs and all that. They didn't have Zion Williamson. They didn't have one of their biggest pieces. Probably the focal point of the offense. If they can figure out how to use him, I mean, he's he's the best at-rim scorer we've seen probably since Shaquille O'Neal. Straight up dunks and layups and controlling the paint offensively. There's not been a better player who scores at the rim High percentage layups and dunks since Shaq. And he's on the Pelicans. Combining him with a CJ McCollum who came in and did everything that you needed him to do. Exactly what we needed him to do. I'm not even talking about on the court. On the court, he was sensational. I'm not even talking about on the court. I'm talking about off the court. Creating a winning culture in New Orleans. Creating a love for that team. Creating a love for the city creating that relationship with the city. Now, I admit, I thought some of it was phony. But I'm only one person. There were a lot of people that bought into it. There's a lot of people that don't think it's phony. But I thought it got over the top a little bit with him saying how much he loved the city and how much he loved New Orleans. I think it was a little bit of lip service. But, like, we needed that. The team needed that. They needed a connection with the city because they don't have one. There is no connection with New Orleans and the Pelicans right now. Well, before CJ got there. Now there is. He created that in a short amount of time. He was there for three months of the season and the playoffs. And he came in and did exactly what you needed to do because Brandon Ingram is not that guy. Brandon Ingram is silent. He's not going to, he's not real rambunctious. He's not going to get in your face. He's not going to create a lot of excitement off the court. But what he is going to do is give you 20 and 8, 20 and 6, 20 and 7. Great passer of the ball. He's going to give you four or five assists. That's what Ingram's going to give you. You can pencil Ingram in for 20 points every night. You add him to Zion and CJ. I'm just I'm really excited about the Pelicans. I don't see how they're not a top four seed in the West. I don't see how they're not going to be in the mix with Phoenix, in the mix with Golden State, and in the mix with Dallas. Memphis to a lesser extent. Denver. I mean, they have Jokic, but that's pretty much all they have. The Pelicans are getting no love nationally. Very similar to Saints. Both teams in New Orleans, very similar situations in my opinion. Why is nobody paying attention to these teams? On a national level, nobody is predicting these teams to do what I genuinely think they're going to do. I never over estimate what my teams are going to do. I never predict them to win if I don't think they're going to win. I'm not one of these guys who always has the Saints winning the Super Bowl, always has the Pelicans in the playoffs, no matter what, and I'm finding different ways to to figure out how they're going to do it and all that stuff. I, I, I can I can get there. I can I can be the guy who's like, well, if, the, if this team does this and this team does this, then the Saints make the playoffs. Of course I can do that. But I'm talking about looking at the beginning of the year and looking at a team and being like, you know, the Saints just don't have it. Like last year, the Saints just didn't have it. It, it, it wasn't it. I knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to happen, and it didn't. I thought the Saints were going to go 9-7 and seven last year. They went 9-7. and seven. Now, they had a lot go against them last year to get to that 9-7. and seven. So that 9-7 and seven 
The nine and seven the Saints got last year is way more impressive than the nine and seven that I predicted. That was a that was a hard nine and seven to get to. The Pelicans making their run last year didn't look likely, right? The, the Pelicans were left for dead. They had nothing going for them last year, and they ended up turning it around when CJ got there, no Zion, and made the playoffs. I think other teams would have got the benefit of the doubt for missing a player like Zion. Other teams would have been like, oh, they're missing, a, you know, the, Warriors, the the Bucks were missing Chris Middleton. They got way more credit for missing Chris Middleton than the Pelicans got for missing Zion. They were missing one of our best players, arguably the best player. And you can say what you want about Zion and he needs to prove it and all that stuff. I hear all that. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't discount those opinions. I think what I've seen from Zion is enough for me to say he's the best Adam scorer since Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille O'Neal is my favorite player of all time. So I'm not diminishing what Shaq did. I love Shaq, and I think he's great. I think Zion has that ability to be that good and dominate. And if they can figure it out with Ingram and McCollum and Zion, man, they're set. The team is set. They don't need any more pieces. There's no more building, right? It's built. And you start talking about Kevin Durant and bringing somebody over and Donovan Mitchell and all these players moving all over. We don't need any of those guys. The team is built. I want to win with these guys. I don't want to add a Kevin Durant and get better. We added C.J. McCollum. He was the perfect fit for the team. I want to win with this group. This is the group that I would like to see win a championship. I don't want to have to add a piece from outside to come in and go over the top. Now, don't get me wrong. If they did it, I'd be happy. Kevin Durant came over to the Pelicans. Look. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be a Kevin Durant fan. I'm not saying that I'm against it. I'm just saying that's not what, that's not what I want. I, I'm, not, I'm not looking at all these other teams like like the Knicks or, or, or the Nets or other teams that are trying to grab these different pieces to bring over, to put them over the top to win a championship. I'd rather watch this team grow, get better, and ultimately win a championship. I don't know if they get it done next year, but I think in the next three or four years, the Pelicans are in position to win a championship. And I never thought that the Pelicans would ever be in that position, but I got to give David Griffin some credit because I have been roasting that guy ever since he drafted Zion. I didn't think he made any good moves, and he's made the moves that have put the Pelicans in position to be a championship team. So, hey, I don't know what, where, when the national media is going to get on board with this, but you guys got to pay attention because the Saints and the Pelicans are both making runs at the championship. Let's take a timeout. We're going to come back and end our number one on the other side of our number one. We're going to talk to James Yasko about some Premier League soccer. I'll kind of talk a little bit about it going into the break, and then we'll get ready for James and let all you soccer heads get ready for some good talk about uh, about the Premier League. It's the game, 1037 Lafayette, 104-1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> RP3 and Company. I'm Nick Fano filling in for Ray, who is uh, either on his way back from Atlanta or just chilling in Atlanta. We're going to talk to him in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll ask him about SEC Media Days. Coming up at 7, I believe 7.05, uh, James Yasko is going to come in. He's used to uh, talking about the Astros. He's with, I, I believe it's called the Lima Lima time, right? Lima time? What is it? Lima time time? Lima time? Lima time time. Lima time time. Yeah. I, I remember. It sounds funky saying it out loud. <laughs> I remember Lima time. Jose Lima. What's the Lima time? This guy. Jose Lima 
and Randy Johnson were supposed to pitch uh, one game when I went to the Astros. It was Houston and Arizona. The Astros and Diamondbacks were playing each other, and it was Jose Lima and Randy Johnson. Johnson was on the Diamondbacks. Lima was on the Astros. I was supposed to go to that game, and we ended up not getting tickets to that game. We got tickets to the next game, which was like Greg Swindell was pitching. It was definitely not Jose Lima and Randy Johnson. And that was the year that Lima was great. And they were in the Astro, the Astrodome. It was supposed to be Lima and Randy Johnson. And uh, I didn't. I ended up not going to that game. I ended up going to a, a Greg Swindell uh, pitched game, which was just not the excitement that I was supposed to have. We're going to talk to James. I'll talk a little bit about Astros. I'll bring up uh, the Jose Lima years with him a little bit. But then we're going to talk some Premier League. And getting into the Premier League, for me, has been uh, a bit of a struggle, more so than it was when I was younger. When I was younger and spending a lot of time online, a lot of time in internet forums and things like that, I could pay more attention to uh, the teams. But now I'm having trouble figuring out these teams. So maybe James can help me out. We'll talk to him on the other side of the break. Talk about some Premier League Astros and get you guys' opinion. 337-706-0111 is the game. 1037 Lafayette, 104 Lake 4041 Lake Charles. Hannah, I'm going to get that right before it's over. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I'm live, Doppler 10 Storm Team Meteorologist Trevor Sonier. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back, everybody, to RP3 and Company. I'm Nick Fontenot filling in on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hannah Five Names, the producer here who is uh, efforting, if you will, uh, James Jasko, but uh, has yet to uh, be successful in that. So we'll just move on uh, with the show. We'll take your calls on the game hotline as well, 337-706-0111. We talked uh, Astros, Saints, and Pelicans in hour number one, and we hit the, we hit the high notes, if you will, in the first hour. And, of course, the way sports radio is is the conversation never really ends. You could kind of move on into the next hour and talk about the same stuff. And so we talked about the Astros at the top of the first hour, talked about their big series win uh, yesterday, two-game doubleheader against the Yankees, winning both. And what does that mean for the weekend? The poll question of the day is, uh, will the Astros break the Seattle Mariners' 14-game winning streak. You can go on Twitter or on 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and vote on those poll questions. Uh, the Mariners, a 14-game win streak going into the All-Star game. Uh, they were sitting at home last night. They had nothing to do. Julio Rodriguez and those guys chilling while the Astros were in a monster two-game doubleheader with the Yankees. I made the point in the first hour that the Astros were – uh, more concerned about the Yankees than they were about anybody in their division. I mean, the Mariners are the second team in the AOS. They're 10 games back. The Astros don't care about the Mariners. The Mariners, however, care about the Astros. The Mariners are chasing the Astros. 
And I don't think they're going to catch them. I think the Astros are safe in the AL West. But the Mariners are trying to make the playoffs, man. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 21 years. The longest playoff drought in the entire major leagues. And you start talking about some of these teams. Some of these awful organizations in Major League Baseball, the Cincinnati Reds. When was the last time the Reds won anything? The 90s with Barry Larkin? They've made the playoffs since the Mariners. The Pirates? They had those years with Andrew McCutcheon. They had some pretty good years when McCutcheon was there. and They haven't been awful. They made the playoffs. I mean, those are teams that are really bad. The Kansas City Royals, a perennial bottom dweller of the league, they not only made the playoffs since the Mariners, they won the World Series since the Mariners have made the playoffs. The Orioles have made the playoffs. I mean, all of these teams that you're talking about that are always bad have made the playoffs more recently than the Seattle Mariners. So the Mariners are just trying to get over that hump. And this 14-game winning streak took them from five games below 500 to now sitting there second place in the AL West. They've had a good run. The game tonight is important for both teams. The Mariners win that game tonight. Then they only got to win one more. I think it sets them up to win the series. If the Astros win tonight, I think it's demoralizing for the Mariners. I think the Astros win this game tonight. This is the game that's set up for the Mariners to win, right? The Astros play the two against the Yankees, flying across country to get to Seattle, that brutal flight to Seattle. I mean, one of the worst flights from anywhere in the country. The flight to Seattle was a horrible flight. Astros have to go all the way to Seattle after playing two tough games against the Yankees. Both of those games were tough. Not only are you playing the team that you're battling for the best record in the league, the team that you're battling for ultimately uh, bragging rights in the American League, the one seed in the American League, trying to win the World Series, everybody pretty much talking about you're on a crash course to make the American League Championship Series. Not only are you battling that you know, that team, but you play two, and then you get to fly to Seattle, everything shapes up for the Mariners to win this game. It's a must win for the Mariners. Hannah, you're a Mariners fan. Are you, yes. uh, you call yourself a Mariners fan. Are you a legitimate Mariners fan? Do you die hard when the Mariners lose, and do you get – Overly excited when the Mariners win, or are you just a Mariners name, Mariners uh, fan in name only? Well, this is the first season of being a Mariners fan. Like I went through the whole like two, three week process of poll question at the poll question. My mom actually now got me for my birthday, very late birthday present. <laughs> she was like, "Well, now that you're a Mariners fan, which I didn't know you were." Um, <laughs> she got me a shirt, and it has you know the Mariners on the front, and on the back, it has five names down it with the number being the year it was born nice and so i i'm not to the point of foot yet i'm not a foot fan yet um i don't think that i could like not move for a week if my mariners you know like died and didn't win a game for like three weeks um but i'm getting there but i also know like i know people are like oh look at the history of the mariners i'm like yes i got it my team had the greatest but you know what I don't care because I decided, which Ray and Foot both respect, I was like, I'm not going to pick the Astros. I'm not going to pick the Braves. Why? Because everyone's picking them. And because Ray and Foot are Astros and Braves fan. It's not as much fun to talk about the same team, be like, oh, sure. our team's great or our team's bad. No, I want to go against you. So playing against Foot is just always epic, even though he's the worst trash talk person ever. 
to yeah. trash talk I guess so just don't sweep me it's always his, his motto but going to our poll question because we kind of sh- buy it uh right now leading the vote now is still the duh of course at 42 percent 43 percent sorry 38% says maybe, and 19% says no, don't break. Five names with JBK, the OD, who is the reason why I'm a Mariners fan, by okay. the way, because you didn't know that story. I did not. Um, He was like, their the, the colors are teal. And I was like, teal's the color? Yes. So he says, get out the brooms. Mariners will sweep them. Then Mariners are sneaking up on the Astros. And then it's the little sneak level 100 with a little big, huge fat cat that's just like slithering to another cat. Uh, Ralph Bergeron says, well, according to Foote's book of baseball theories, probably not. They just beat the Yankees in a doubleheader and now have to fly to China, or as Foote says, Asia, right. to play the Mariners. Bad circumstances series for the Astros. John Paul Cajun Daddy says the Mariners were, were able to close the gap with the Astros because of st- a streak of weak opponents to create the wins. Eventually, you stop playing the Reds. And then it says, side note, for me to watch SB Nation's history of the Mariners, which... Again, they're weak opponents for the Astros. Does not mean they're weak opponents for the Mariners. The Rangers are our biggest enemy, and we swept them in a four-game series. Four. Not three. Not two. Four. That's a lot for my team. And then uh, Salty Steve says, It will be difficult to surpass the AL record for consecutive wins as the road goes through Houston. And that said, winning 22 out of 25 games since being 10 games under 500 is an amazing accomplishment hashtag no salt Friday yeah, all those things are true yeah all those things are true but you got to beat the Astros you got to beat them at least one yeah I, I think you're you're right in your theory that like if we win tonight we'll most likely win the series yes. if Astros win then the Astros will win the series but they've only swept us their one series one against us of the last I think five four games four series we've played against them. They've only won the series once, and that was in a sweep. Yeah. But now we've gone and had a game where we were down. It was the end. The ending score was six five. We were down. It was five nothing against the Rangers on Saturday night, last Saturday. We came back and pulled out a six five victory at the bottom of the eighth inning. Two innings for us at bat to be able to come back and get three runs to win the full game. Well, you know the the big thing for you. You personally, as a Mariners fan, this series is big because you yeah. want to stick it to foot. I oh, mean, yeah. sticking it to foot is what we all live for. Now, when it comes to football seasons, foot and I are on the same team, so I never get to stick it to them. We both love and pull for the Saints, so we're together. But when right. it comes to baseball, I'm a Braves fan. So last year, the Braves and the Astros were in the World Series. I really got to stick it to foot. There were a lot of moments, especially the Jorge Solar home run, where I would just, you know, send him a video or like just just send him a snippet where you could just you just feel it through the phone that he's cringing and it's, it's boiling his blood. That's always fun. So if the Mariners were able to get a sweep of the Astros, foot would be in a, a, a down downward spiral coming in on Monday morning, oh, yeah. and that would be enjoyable for you, I would assume. I mean, I think it would, but it also would be terrible because um, <laughs> trying to make him talk for two hours will be tough. Because, like, what he said, one, we're hoping for him to go to Sunbelt Conference Media Days next week. Right. He's like, this all depends on that, the Yankees games. <laughs> so they won the Yankees games yesterday. But, again, like he said, they're flying to Asia today to come play my team. And he's like, I, I mean, me and him have said it before. Him, me, and Ray have all been in it. Don't count out the Mariners. And what do we are with the second team? You're in second place for the wild card for the 
I woke up this morning and checked the betting line for that Astros Mariners game. Um, I want to I want to double check it real quick, which I'm going to do now. Um, the Mariners are still the underdog, man. The Astros are the favorite at minus one thirty. The Mariners plus one hundred to win that game today. So there's I think there's a there's a there's a dollar to be made on that game. I think the Mariners is the play. It's like like we've been saying all morning. They're flying across the country after playing two tough games against the Yankees. They didn't play two games against the Mariners or the A. I mean the the Rangers or the A's. You know, they didn't get a, a cupcake against the Brewers. They played against the Yankees. Two tough, important games against the Yankees yesterday where they gave it their all. They needed their all. Now they're flying all the way to Seattle. Urquidy's on the mound. Are you kidding me? This is a spot the Mariners have to win. It's oh, it's yeah. a it's a must win for the Mariners. If if the Mariners don't win this game, I think the series I think it's a sweep for the Astros. Yeah. So this that, this this game is just so, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a big big game. It's a big one, especially because uh now we are also past our lovely brawl we had, and so we're done with our suspension. All suspensions have been dealt with. They've all been used. They had our final suspension game for Julio Rodriguez went from two to one game, and he did that against the Nationals last week. So now we have our full lineup with my guy Julio, which I think if they would have done it by the old terms of the Derby, I think he would have won. I mean, 81 home runs, dude. Yeah, it was it was the Julio Rodriguez so, show. Like, Soto literally skated by the first two rounds, and then to finally, because he goes second, he gets to skate by again to go and take out Julio, who beforehand had hit 63 home runs yeah. and then it has to go and try to pull it out again for another two minutes. Yeah, it's it's going to be hard on my dude. It's tough because the home run derby in the years before the clock had got kind of boring, but you're right. Like it's a much better, it's a much better way to crown a champion. It's just not as fun and not as exciting to watch, but it was a much better way to crown the home run derby champion was the old way before the clock. But now the clock is so exciting. I mean, you're, you're seeing the, the pitchers trying to pitch a couple more and try to beat the clock and, and win the extra 30 seconds. Like it's so exciting. Like I, I'm not, I don't want them to go back to the old way, but I do a hundred percent agree the old way they did the home run derby where they they tabulated the the numbers and it was he who hits the most home runs on an equal number of pitches so everybody got what was it 10 pitches and you, you hit the home runs i think Julio Rodriguez probably would have won yeah. uh, the home run derby i but, think you know. if they would have if they would have still done the clock i think they have the clock but they don't do it by brackets i don't think you really actually need the brackets i think it may have been more fun but playing against one person is terrible I mean, it took Soto and Pujols. I think they both hit three, 13 home runs and then had to go to a, a minute swing off. And yeah. that's how Soto got past the first round against that's Pujols, right. who's an older man. Yeah. I mean, Julio was 11 home runs short of beating the all-time record for most home runs in a home run derby. And he wouldn't have won the thing. Yeah. All right. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. But I, I, do, <laughs> I, do, I do agree with you, though, because – also, the home run derby, the telecast was awful. I mean, they they have to have ESPN has to have two better people to put on that broadcast than uh, Carl Ravage, uh, Carl Ravage and uh, and Pedro. I don't even know. I don't, I don't, remember. Remember, I don't, I don't remember his name. But I was really watching the them swing. Those guys are <laughs> awful. They're just they're not exciting. This event used to be a premier event, very exciting. It's not that anymore, and I think a lot of it had to do with it being in L.A., so it was still daylight. So you're watching these home runs fly out of the park in the daylight. That that lended itself to not be as exciting. But 
Carl Ravitch is just boring. He's just a boring yeah. guy. They have to have somebody better than that. And, and and Major League Baseball has a real problem with connecting with fans. But that's a topic for a, another day, or maybe later on we can get into that because we got right. a wide open show. 337-706-0111. We are going to take a timeout and come back here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Candy, you got a date night coming up? I know you like to go on date I nights. I wish. Game Clubhouse can help you out. Really? With that date night. You go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and you can become a member of the Rewards Club and have an opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, which is also at Cypress Bayou Casino. You can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. I'm Nick Fontenot. I'm in for Ray today. Ray is in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. We are going to check with him, check in with him in the 8 o'clock hour. Ask him some questions about SEC Media Days. Ask him a few questions about uh, the LSU Tigers because – uh, well, obviously, that's the team that we follow. It's the home for the LSU Tigers. Is right here on 1037 The Game, 1041 The Game. Uh, you can listen to the LSU Tigers all season long right here on The Game. It's going to be an interesting season for the LSU Tigers, and I'm very interested to talk to Ray later about what he heard from Brian Kelly, how he felt about Brian Kelly, because I have yet to hear anything from Brian Kelly, see a press conference, hear a press conference from him that makes me feel like he's the LSU head football coach. And I I don't really have a way to explain what I'm talking about, but I always felt like Nick Saban was the head coach of LSU. Like, it just felt like he was the head coach when he was in Baton Rouge. I always felt like Les Miles was the head coach. Even when Ed Orgeron got there, it just felt like he was the head coach. From day one, the day that he got there, all right, this is our guy. Saban was our guy, and then Miles was our guy, and then Coach O was our guy. Jerry DiNardo for a little bit. I was a little young for that. I was still in high school. But those guys that I really started, when I really started following and paying attention to sports, all three of those guys, Saban, Miles, and Coach O, from day one, from their first opening press conference, I was like, all right, this is my guy. I'm behind him. This is the guy that I want to lead the Tigers. Win or lose, good or bad, he's my guy. I'm behind him. I, haven't, I don't feel that way about Brian Kelly yet. And I'm not saying that he's not going to be great. I think he might be one of the greatest coaches that LSU's ever had. And I have big aspirations for the Tigers. I think that Brian Kelly is a good coach, and he's going to take the Tigers to another national championship. The track record is there for the Tigers. The last three coaches have done it. Saban, Miles, and Coach O, all three of them have won a championship. So Brian Kelly's going to get it done, in my opinion. 
I think he's probably probably three years away. My prediction for LSU this year is uh, is to win nine or ten games. They'll lose to Alabama and maybe a couple other games. We'll go about nine and three. Maybe lose to A and M. Maybe lose to Florida. Maybe lose it. Maybe lose a game that they should lose, like maybe in Arkansas or an Ole Miss. You know, LSU's always good for one of those. Losing a game that they shouldn't lose. You're going to the Ole Miss game. You're the number 16 ranked team. Ole Miss is riding a four game losing streak, and Ole Miss beats you. LSU's always good for a game like that. So a nine and three type of type of season for the Tigers with the loss to Alabama. Next, the following year in 2023, I think the Tigers go 10 and two, and I think that they beat Alabama. So I think that I don't think that they're going to win a national championship in 23, but I do think they beat Alabama in 23. So lose to Alabama in 22, beat Alabama in 23, but don't quite get over the hump. And in 2024, Walker Howard's going to be a junior. Jack Besh is going to be a senior. 2024 is the season that I'm looking at as the national championship year. So that's just my predictions. Nine game, nine games next year. Ten games the following year, but a but a win against Alabama, which is which usually counts for like should count for two wins, especially with the aura that LSU Alabama is, and then twenty four an undefeated national championship season. That's just my prediction, but but it doesn't doesn't change the fact that I still haven't felt like this is my guy. I don't feel like this is my guy. I'm not behind him yet, as far as like he's an LSU Tiger. I'm an LSU Tiger. Let's roll. Like this is my guy that I'm going to battle with, and so I'm interested to find out if Ray feels that as well. I know Ray's not really an LSU fan, but he follows the team and, and and covers the team, and so he has a good finger on the pulse of the team. I'm wondering if you guys out there feel the same way. 337-706-0111. Feel free to chime in and let me know, am I off base here? Am I out of uh, my element, if you will, as far as feeling this way about Brian Kelly? Because I'm seeing him. He's saying all the right things. He's making all the right moves. He's bringing in the right recruits. He has some good players. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything bad. I'm not not behind him. I don't think it's a bad hire. I think it's a great hire. I think it was probably the best hire that they could make. He had a lot of success. He's had a lot of success everywhere he's been. It's a great hire. I'm just not on board yet. I'm not sitting here in July, heading into the LSU season, thinking that this is my guy. Seeing him walk the sidelines of Tiger Stadium and saying, that's my head coach. That's the way I felt from the very beginning with the last three guys. And I don't know what's the disconnect there. Is it because of his awkward introduction where he was maybe you know, pretending to have the, the Southern accent, pretending to be something that he wasn't, maybe a little bit of, uh, of disingenuous – uh, comment, commentary, um, the way he was acting when he got on campus. Like, it felt fake. It didn't feel genuine. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just that he doesn't feel genuine. Doesn't feel like an LSU coach is supposed to feel. And everybody's different. And you guys might be out there listening and saying, what's he talking about? I felt great about it since the beginning. I'm just telling you, I haven't. I don't feel that yet. That's not to say he's not going to be successful. I do think he's going to be successful, win a lot of games. Most of the coaches that have come through at LSU have won a lot of games. The infrastructure and the program is in place to do that. I think he's a drastic upgrade 
from the previous head coach. And so I'm wondering. See, I'm wondering if you feel the same way. I, I'm with. I did. I think the the right foot was not to go and like bring in all of the past places that you've lived and try to bring those accents into now coming into Louisiana and trying to put all that together. I think that's why he came off as trying to make a southern a fake southern accent. But I mean Massachusetts. That's 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 the known people. So I I don't think he came on on the right foot because of the way people went straight to try to come at him because he's not Coach O. Because we all think of Coach O, we think of the raspy, the, like, I probably smoke 12 packs of cigarettes every week. Like, that's the kind of feel that, like, I got from Coach O, and he just was not great anyway. But I think Brian Kelly, I think he's going to be a new direction for the team. I think he's going to get the team to where they need to be, working on their academic. Because what Mike Jones and what BJ both said is they were like, as soon as Coach Kelly came in, we went up. I can't even tell you how many points, but like our GPAs all went up because we're making sure we're focused on our studies, which which what, that's what we want to see from a coach. Because what people don't realize, and what kind of really disheartens and makes me frustrated with the transfer portal, is you're going to school, school. I mean, to go to get a degree, and some coaches are like, yes, they care about their kids' academia, but like. That should be one of your main focuses is those kids' education because you're going to school for a degree. Yes, football is a plus. You came on scholarship. You don't got to pay any money. You get the stakes or whatever you get as football players. I don't know. All of our money from you all goes there too. But, like, Brian Kelly went straight to, I need to build trust with my players. I need to make sure that their academia is up as well because, yes, you can play football all day and be good at it. But making sure your studies are well and that you're making sure you're getting the degree. Because what you need to go to school for is to get a degree. Not to transfer to four different schools to be on the better team every time. But you're going for a degree. How can you focus on that? So I'm going to play a clip. And it's basically Brian Kelly about how he had to make sure he's building his trust with this team. And his trust is being built from the team to him as well. Well, I think trust is a two-way street. You know, You know, they're earning my trust too. You know, I think, you know, it works both ways. I, first of all, trust is about saying something and, and backing it up. Uh, and, and then, you know, I think continuing uh, that relationship. You know, we're, we're working on that relationship every day through deeds, um, through things that we put in front of them uh, and say that we're going to do for them and, and backing it up. And then asking them to do some things for us and, and, and seeing that they back it up. I think in all three of those cases, we, we're building trust. As you know, Kayshawn was just awarded number seven, which we consider, you know, a, a program number that, that highlights the very best player, in particular from the state of Louisiana. And, and that has to happen when, when trust has been formed. Miles has been one of our best leaders in our program. John Emery's done an incredible job of bringing himself back into our program. So I think you brought up three guys that have earned a lot of trust, and, and we're trusting them. Yeah. Like I said, he's saying all the right things. That's, that's great. That was a great clip. That was a great comment from him. He is not making any missteps. He's not doing anything wrong. And it's very interesting that you brought up academics Hannah because that is something that I was going to talk about in the next segment after the break and we didn't even talk about that we didn't even discuss anything that's that's professional that's that's how professional you are Hannah you can read 
where the show's going to go even before we even talk about it. There was no previous discussion. As I said at the beginning, this is a wing We're winging it. it. We're winging (laughs) it. We have no prep. We don't have any notes. We're just going. I want to talk about the direction that college football is going as a whole in the next segment. So we'll take a timeout now. We're going to come back and talk about what you were talking about, how academics is going to play into the role of college football as a whole and where this is going with the playoff, with these massive conferences. We can also get your opinion as well. 337-706-0111. Call us in on the game hotline. This is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, South Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also is offering custom shower installations. That's right. No muss, no fuss, low-maintenance, grout-free showers. Visit their website, lmgelite.com, today to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. That's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Back here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. That was the beautiful voice of Raymond Parsha III, better known as RP3. We're going to check in with him uh, in about in about 20 minutes. We're going to get Ray on the phone to check in from SEC Media Days. Before the break, Hannah, we were talking about uh, college football, LSU in general, but more of the academic side of LSU, which you brought up as, you know, these kids are going to school and they're here to get a degree and all that stuff. And that's the thing that we've heard all these years, right? These are college students and they're here to get a degree. But, man, college football is changing. College football, the landscape of what we know as college football is changing. And I'm not just talking about conference realignment and teams going from you know the the west coast to the east coast and things like yes that's all changing and the college football on the field is changing that we've seen for our whole lives i'm just talking about college football the institution the college football that we have known our whole lives and what it stands for and what it means i think that's changing too that's going out of the window. And so we're going to play a clip from SEC Commissioner uh, Greg Sankey, who's at SEC Media Days, kind of talking to uh, the coaches as a whole in the SEC about what exactly is going on with the state of college football. But as we refocus, here's what I told our coaches. It is never going to be the same. But it doesn't have to be the way that it is. We're dealing with complex problems that won't be solved by complaints, by accusations, by finger pointing, 
are by offering simple solutions. What is needed now is collaboration, deep thinking about real-world solutions, and everyone participating in the conversation. They're going to have to be on the same page is basically what it's saying. We're not going to be able to do this thing that we did a few months ago with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher ripping each other's heads off about NIL. Right. Like, NIL is here to stay. And we're going to have to figure out a way to coexist with NIL. And I think NIL is going to become way more important than academics. In fact, I think academics is going to be a zero. And I, and I hate to say that. It, it, it sounds drastic but that's just the way it is like these players are now employees maybe not of the university but they're employees of their sponsors they have sponsors that they need to take care of we just played a live read from rp3 because we had a sponsor that we had to take care of like sponsors rule everything And in this NIL situation with these college athletes, sponsors are going to be needing their return on investment. And we have a big sponsor with LSU, one of the local attorneys who I will not say his name because there's no free ads. We don't don't do free ads. That's that's a hard rule. There's no free ads. (laughs) But you guys all know, if you drive more than half a mile in Lafayette, you know who I'm talking about. He's a huge donor of NIL for LSU. He's the reason why LSU is even relevant in this NIL discussion. He is going to expect a return on investment. He just is. It's not going to be throwing money at these players and not expecting anything in return. He's investing a lot of money. These businesses overall are investing a lot of money in these players. They're going to want a return on investment. Well, what's a return on investment? Well, wins on the field. Right. Not, Not necessarily business. He doesn't care if he gets any clients from this. But he wants wins on the field. He wants championships. That's his return on investment. He's investing three, four, five million dollars into the program. In return, he wants a national championship. As a fan, as an alumnus, he wants that return on investment. And in order to get that, he's got to get the best players. And he doesn't care if that player has a 2.5 GPA and an 18 on the ACT. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about is what's your 40 time. What are your hands like? Can you tackle? Can you block? Can you throw a football? And so the old way of thinking, the old mentality of these guys are students, these guys need to make grades, I just think that's completely going out of the window. It's not irrelevant, and I don't, I'm not for that. I'm not pro that. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think that there does need to be some sort of Emphasis on academics, emphasis on grades and graduation. But that's the college football that we used to know. That's the college football that we've known our whole lives is this. They're going to school. They're getting a degree, graduation rates, things like the SEC having Vanderbilt in the SEC to bring the GPA of the conference up, the ACC having Duke, the Big 12 having schools like Baylor. Like, that's gone. We don't care about that. The Big Ten having Northwestern, we don't care about that anymore. All we care about is winning. That's it. That is paramount. And that's 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 what that's what frustrates me the most. Is because yes, is it different? Because like I, when I went to school, 
one thing that we did in school in like fourth, fifth grade is we had an, an entire week where we sat in the gym and we literally were worried about like, hey, your your fake name is blah, blah, blah. And you have two kids. You're a single parent and this is your salary. We learned how to write checks and to make investments into, you know, how to buy a house and sell a house, do all of that stuff because it's not really taught in school. So I think, yes, NIL has brought good things for these players because if they haven't started it yet, they're realizing how to talk with a client or talk with a professional that's not like, hey, I'm working at like Outback or working at McDonald's or any like any local restaurant, anything like that. You're not working for those places. You're working for an attorney. You're look you're looking at, you know, maybe even a hotel or a hospital. They're looking at those employees and those types of businesses, which is great for them because they're, they're learning that process, which they need to learn anyway. But losing the fact that you still have to worry about your academia, worry about school and getting a degree. How how can you I, I that's what I can't fathom and I can't understand and process is how can you go and earn a degree and you successfully learn things in college if you're going to four or five schools transfer into different schools because hey, maybe you know, the SEC is better than, you know, the Sunbelt Conference or the WAC or anything like that. That's cool, and I understand that. It just means more. There's a reason why it's such a big thing for the SC and they're the league, but you still have to worry about your academics, and that should be a key thing in your brain before you're like, oh, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna move to Duke now because you know, you know, this guy is really good, and I, I want to learn from this guy. No, that should be your complete reason. But what I'm saying is like these these players that we're talking about, these elite level players. Like, let's take a player like Kayshawn Booty for example. Ka- <laughs> Kayshawn Booty Elite. Booty. Booty, whatever. I call him Booty. Whatever. I mean, I call him Booty. I, it's whatever. <laughs> it's funny. Go ahead. You're saying? I mean, remember, I don't know, you may be too young, but there was a guy named Josh Booty who went to Westgate. All right, let's yeah. rewind. Anyways. Guys like so, Kayshawn Booty. Kayshawn Booty, go ahead. Okay, Kayshawn Booty. Elite player. Kayshawn Booty is going to be drafted into the NFL. He is going to make millions and millions of dollars. Do you think he cares about his grades? You think he should care about his grades? Like we're going to college, we're going to earn a degree so that we can earn a living and 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 have a family and provide for our families. That's why we go to college. That's why we go to these universities and pay money for degrees that can get us better jobs. He's going to go and get a job that makes a millions of dollars. I mean, he's going to be if not a top 5 pick, definitely a first round pick in the NFL draft next year. That kid from New Iberia that played at Westgate High, Keishon Butte, he is going to be a millionaire in less than a year's time. Why should he have to care about grades? Like, I, again, this is not – I'm almost sort of playing devil's advocate. This is not what I think. This is not my opinion. I think that grades are important and the kids should be going to school. But if I'm him, you know, if I'm 21 years old or however old Keishon is, and I have this elite level athleticism that I know is marketable to somebody. Somebody is going to pay me a lot of money for the skills that I already have. I don't need any more skills. I don't need to go to college and get any more skills. They're going to give me this money. Now, what I do with the money, I might be able to learn some skills as to how to manage that money and be better with my money in those classes. That, that's arguable. But I'm just talking about earning the money. In order to earn the money, I don't need any more skills. I have... Everything that I am going to need, I already possess those skills. It's God-given talent and ability and speed. 
So I'm going to go and make a million dollars. And I think that that that's been something that's been going on in college football, but it's been kind of hush hush. Like it's we, we know we already know that at places like LSU and Alabama and Ohio State, like we know that those kids are not putting an emphasis on academics. We're not turning a blind eye to what has already been going on for years and years and years and years. The 70s, the 80s, whatever the generation is. The elite players have never cared about academics. Now it's just in our face, kind of. We're like talking, we're saying this, the, what do they, they call it when you you say the silent stuff or what you used to say behind the closed doors. In the room, you're talking about yeah, the what you used to say behind closed doors. Now we're just saying it out in the open for everybody to hear. And that's, and that's why it's like a slap in the face kind of to some people where they're like, hey, what are you talking about? Wait, 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 hold on. Don't act like we're way out in left field with these claims or these, these facts or these things that we're talking about. This has been going on forever, and I think anybody who's realistic feels the same way. Like, because, like, I, I 100% understand, like, you know, you find that with advocate is that, yeah, that's awesome that, like, you are really good at football and, you know, you can throw an 80 yard touchdown, you know, you know, you can be Joe Burrow if you want to. That's cool. I'm glad that you are at that level, that elite level of playing. But what happens if, you know, you're going to tackle, I don't know, Alvin Kamara and, you, you twist your ankle, you can't play again. What you can do after that? No doubt. Yeah, you have your money that you've made, and you have money for NIL and then going on to the NFL. But having those two things, if something happens, what do you fall back on? And that's why I think academia should be more important, and it's why, like, B.J. Ajolari, who was one of the players for LSU, he was like, you know, since Brian Kelly came, academia has been important to him and then you know things have come up for them right yeah graduate champions is a is a big model for us now we take uh, academics more seriously as soon as coach kelly came in we raised our gpa by a certain amount of points i don't know the exact number but this spring semester it was a great improvement in our team gpa so he's definitely pushing academics on us i know for a lot of guys academics is very important in their families You can win a new Apple Watch on the text club. You can send a simple text message to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. They're going to hook you up with a new Apple Watch. All you have to do is join the text club. Simply text GAME to 337-283-8100. That's GAME to 337-283-8100. When you join, you'll be eligible to win an Apple Watch. Plus, you'll have a ton of chances to score other great prizes like Astros tickets and more. It's the Game Text Club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Don't have a whole lot of time in this segment to, to kind of unpack what BJ said uh, in the previous in the previous segment. But I agree, Hannah, with what you're saying. I agree with what BJ's saying. I'm not saying that we don't need to put an emphasis on grades. We do need to put an emphasis on grades. I want these kids to go to college and get a degree. That's what I want. That's what I would like them to do. I'm just saying that's not what they want to do. And maybe these coaches are going to come in and try to put an emphasis on grades. But I think – that more players are going to put less emphasis on grades and they're going to want to play for the guys that aren't putting the emphasis on the grades. And so you can be high and mighty 
And you can say, I love that my program is putting an emphasis on grades, and I love that I go to a school like LSU with Brian Kelly who's putting an emphasis on grades. You can do that. And then you're going to have to compete with a guy like Nick Saban that doesn't give a damn about grades. Nick Saban is not caring about a kid's GPA. He's just not. Can you get into Alabama? Do you have the grades to get into Alabama? That's all I care about. And as soon as you get into Alabama, I could care less if you graduate. I want to win football games. I want to secure my job. I want to win football games, win championships, and set you up for the NFL. If you're looking at track record for setting teams up, for setting players up in the NFL, there's nobody better than Alabama. Yes, LSU does it great. Ohio State does it great. There's nobody better than Alabama. They're putting 10 and 12 and 15 kids in the NFL draft every single year. There's 12 to 15 players on that Alabama roster right now that are going to play in the NFL. There's probably nobody, no other school in the country that can say that. So and th- so that's where it's going. I'm not yeah. I'm not de-emphasizing grades. I personally think that the way it's been is good. I'm just saying that's the direction we're going in where grades are just not going to matter all. They're going to be zero. I think if you were to go and make it to where it used to where you was in high school cuz I was friends with a bunch of football players because I was in band, I was in guard. So I was around all these players all the time and I had them in classes. If you were to go and put that same mentality you had in high school where, you know, you need to have this certain GPA, you know, by the last practice, I think it would push the guys harder to, one, get their academics up because they want to play in that game. You can't get money if you're not playing in the game. So I think that would also, I think it would be, a, you know, a chain reaction if they would put more emphasis on the grades. So then, hey, you got to have this GPA, you know, for the next two games, then, you know, they're going to figure it out. Where you went to high school? Slidell High. Slidell. Yeah. Oh, you know who went to Slidell? Um, Chris Duhon. Didn't he go to Slidell? You know Chris Duhon? He played for uh, he played for the he played for Duke, then he played for the Chicago Bulls. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to I'll put, look that up. I didn't mean I to will put do you the, on the spot. I'll, I'll become a researcher during the break, probably get uh Raymond Parts the third. We're gonna get RP three on the that. phone to talk about some SEC media days. We're gonna come back and take a time out. We're gonna come back in the eight o'clock hour and talk to Ray, get his opinions of what we've been talking about and his overall opinion of SEC media days. I'm Nick Fontenot filling in for RP three. It's the game one oh three seven Lafayette and one oh four one Lake Charles South Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. In the final hour of RP3 and Company, I'm Nick Fontenot in for RP3 today. Hannah Five Names, of course, the producer. Hannah, the first two hours, no prep, winging it. Breezed by, right? I mean, it, ha- it wasn't been difficult. I know you were. I know you were nervous. I could feel I, the nerves <laughs> of not having any prep, but we wing it and we get by. Oh yeah, we've gotten by, and there's been no like downtime yeah. of trying to figure out what we're gonna say next. No like discussion during the break. Like, right. what are we gonna do? But we figured it out. We've had heated con- con- conversation. There you go. Wow, that's the word you use. <laughs> it's definitely eight o'clock, and I'm still not quite awake. Well, look, we've it's been winging, we've been winging it all morning. You're not used to the, the you're used to the regimented uh, schedule oh, yeah. of a normal RP3 and company. So the way we get back into that, the way we get into the swing of a more regimented RP3 and company, a more 
familiar, if you will, RP3 and company is to just bring RP3 on. I mean, that's what we're going to do. The right. man the man is off. He's on an off day. He took a day off. And the, the one thing that we decided to do is to bring the man to work. So the man has to work on his day off. On the game hotline right now, fresh from SEC Media Days, is Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. What is going on this morning, Mr. Ray? You know, in life, you take things for granted. Fondo, you know this. And you go, you know what? Sleeping in my own bed, oh, man, that ain't a big deal. Oh, man, that's that's nothing. I don't care about that until you're out of town for like five to six days. And you wake up on the final day and you go, I can't wait to be home in my own bed. No doubt. Some of those those hotels. Life is about the little things. You know this? Some Some of those hotel beds and pillows, they're very comfortable, but it's like, and, and you know, the, like the first day in a hotel bed, you're like, man, this is awesome. I want a bed like this. And then the fourth day, you're like, I just want my bed. I don't care if the springs are popping out and the pillow is yeah. not even fluffy. I just want to sleep in my bed. That is correct, man. But we're almost, that's it. Once we wrap up this interview, then it's going to get some uh, delightful continental breakfast at the hotel and then getting on the road. We made it to Mobile or the big storm system that came through all of Alabama <laughs> yesterday. As soon as you hit the, as soon as we hit the li- the state line between Georgia and Alabama, all of a sudden it was this just humongous storm system that just covered the state. And I was like, "Well, we're going to get to Mobile, and then we'll make the rest of the way on Friday." <laughs> well, let's talk about your time in Atlanta while you were there for SEC Media Days, and I, we'll get to some specifics and talk about what some specific coaches said, but I just wanted to get your overall feel. I know you've been to SEC media days before. I've never been. It's, it's not anything new to you, but like, what's your overall take on like the existence of SEC media days? Like, why do we even have this? Like, what's the point of it? I wanted to kind of get your opinion as somebody who's been there and who, who just recently went there. Like, why do we do this? It's become what used to be something that was early on where coaches would all get together in a hotel room one day and talk to media members around round tables. Like you just grab guys and you'd sit down at round tables and then go, you know, have dinner with them later that night has morphed into this. And look, it's, it's become just a celebration. It's like, it's like a kickoff party is essentially what it's become, right? All the coaches come, uh, the SEC network and ESPN gets to spotlight the conference for four straight days. Does it need to be four days long? No, it doesn't need to be four days long. But what it's grown into is a major event. It's become a good comparison would be the evolution of the NFL draft going from something done in a dingy hotel room that wasn't even televised to now something that draws more than 10,000 people to downtown Nashville for a three-day event, right? It's, it's the same thing. It's, and, you know, the, the moniker is it just means more, and we make fun of that, but that's where it comes from because people show up for it, um, people watch it, and media members come to cover it. And, I mean, we had – there were 45 tables on Radio Row, 45 for SEC Media Days. And on the final day, only two people had left. That was it. You still had 43 tables rocking it inside the College Football Hall of Fame. It is a TV spectacular. And it's one of those things where 
it can be somewhat exhausting because you're you're never stopping. Because, you know, I'll get up in the morning and go down to the College Football Hall of Fame and do my show, but then afterwards is there's a certain level of chaos because you have all these teams coming and going, and you try to schedule interviews beforehand, Nick, and then the SIDs, because I sent email requests to every sports information director in the SEC saying, hey, we'd like to have the coach or a player on. And I did this like two months ago and then a month ago and everything like that. And some of them responded. We had uh, some from Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We got some players from them. Others never did. Others didn't until we were there. Uh, You have a certain amount of time that you have to get from the SEC network where they give you their personalities for nine minutes. Like, like, Like it's nine to ten minutes and that's it. So, and then sometimes people cancel, so then they come back to you. while Sometimes while you're on the air during a commercial break, like, hey, do you have time for Ryan McGee? Hey, do you have time for, you know, Peter Burns? So, so it's constantly like that, and you're constantly trying to tape interviews during the thing, where at the end of the day, and it sounds weird to say because you're just talking, but at the end of the day, you're like, man, I feel kind of white because <laughs> it's constant. There's no, there's no time to rest, yeah. if that makes any sense. No, it does. And it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And next year, it's going to Nashville. Like, it's going, it's becoming uh, the equivalent of the NFL draft, where it's going to go from location to location. This is the second time it was held in Atlanta. This time it was actually held inside the College Football Hall of Fame. Next year, it's going to be held in a brand spanking new convention center hotel by Bridgestone Arena in downtown Nashville. Then there's talk of it going either to New Orleans or possibly in Texas, Dallas or Houston, just in time for Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC. So it's it, they call it a circus for a reason, and, that, and that's what it is. It's entertaining and exhausting all at the same time. And, you know, C. Uh, Spurrier said, you know, it's just talking season. It's silly season, right? Yeah. Um, every coach gets on the stage, and they think that their team has a great chance. Right, get the Vanderbilt coach earlier in the week say he feels in a couple of years Vanderbilt's going to be a national championship, you know, program, and we went, what? Come you on. realize you had Vandy, right? Come on, like, Bozo. So it's those kind of moments that you know are part of it as well. Well, let's talk about somebody who is a national championship contender. Let's talk about Alabama. Now, I, I don't care about what Nick Saban said. I don't even want to ask you about what he said or what you think about Alabama because it just disgusts me to talk about, you know, the Crimson Tide. They're always going to win. They're going to be number one, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. We get that. I want to ask you about Nick Saban and his aura and being in the room when he's speaking at SEC Media Days. Is it is it as different live there in person as it feels on TV? Because I saw bits and pieces of every coach talking at SEC Media Days, and – when Saban's there, it feels like, like this is what we're here for. Like this is the, this is the moment that we're all we've all gathered in this room in this facility for this moment. The Nick Saban press conference, that moment at the SEC media days. Do you get that feeling being part of the media there? Like, is it just something that I've made up in my brain, or is it true that when Saban is speaking and when Saban has the floor, it, it's it, it's a bigger deal than when anybody else is. He doesn't even have to be speaking. When he arrives, you can feel it. It's it's the weirdest thing. I, I've 
when I first experienced it was in 2019, when the first time I went to SEC Media Days and we broadcast there from Hoover. And I thought, well, maybe it's just because we're in Alabama. And maybe it's just because right down Radio Row, because in Hoover, we were in the hotel there that was connected to the Galleria Mall. So there was all types of shenanigans going on, right? You'd have uh, Auburn fans have spray-painted their little dogs, you know, blue and orange, and walking down Radio Row. Bama fans dressing up like Bear Bryant, one in the middle of his career and the other one dressed up right before he died. You know, it, all types of weird stuff happens in Hoover at media days, and people just randomly walk into the mall. And they get lost, and they're like, ooh, what, what have I walked into? What is this? And you have all the fans by the es- escalators there in Hoover. So I thought, you're not going to feel that here because it was less fans involved. They could come to the College Football Hall of Fame, but they had. it, it was just – a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more colder, if that makes any sense, because you have the main media floor, and they had that roped off for people to go to, and then Radio Row was on the second floor looking down. So I thought, well, I just don't think you're going to feel that. You know, we're not in Alabama. This is Atlanta. It's a whole different ballgame. Let me tell you something, man. It almost as if someone turned on a light switch. I looked up and I said, I looked at Miguez and I was like, the Alabama, the Alabama people, and Nick Saban's in the building, like because you you could just hear you could hear like papers rustling, you could hear people whispering, you could hear commotion, and you're like, oh, Alabama's here. <laughs> it was the same way it was in 2019. Like when they come, it's different. Bryce Young and Anderson came. By the way, Anderson is a mammoth human being. Um, when I looked at him, I was like, oh, geez, that guy is huge. When they walked down Radio Row, you just saw it. It, it. it was just, there was a certain amount of electricity in there, and you're right. It, it feels like what you feel watching it on television, like it's just, you know, when Nick comes, it changes everything. It does. When he speaks, you can hear a pin drop. Everyone's waiting, on just hanging on every last word of his. And they do so with the players as well. And it is something to behold. I mean, when the Alabama guys got there on Radio Row, and they were going, and I think, huh, God, God help them, poor, I think poor Vanderbilt players were on Radio Row at the same time. And, you know, they just got, like, pushed aside like they were hot garbage. And it was just like, oh, you know, Alabama's here, Alabama's here. Alabama's here. It just changes. And, look, there's a lot of Alabama radio stations on Radio Row, okay? Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery. But you have radio stations there from Houston, Chattanooga, Atlanta, Florida, a couple from Louisiana, or Arkansas. It was everyone paid attention when Nick or his players came on Radio Row, even if it was just forever so brief of a moment. It is just like you see it on television. Disgusting. And it's just, <laughs> it's just it's, it's terrible. I, I I know that I know that exactly what you're describing is the truth, but man, it's just he just it's just it's so bad right now. Okay, probably have time for one more question for you. We'll talk about LSU. We'll talk about Brian Kelly. I kind of mentioned it earlier in the show about the way that I'm feeling about Brian Kelly. Now I think that Brian Kelly is going to do fine. I think he's going to win a lot of games, but I haven't got that feeling personally, just me, that he's my guy. Like I felt like when Saban came to LSU and when Les Miles came and when Coach O came, immediately on day one, I was like, all right, this is my guy and I'm behind him. Like he's the leader of the program and this is my new guy. I haven't 
got that yet from Brian Kelly. And I'm not saying that he's not going to be a good coach because I think he will be. I think he's going to win some games. I think he's eventually going to win a championship. And he's saying all the right things. He hasn't made any missteps. But I just he's just not my guy yet. I'm just not behind him. Do you get that sentiment from other LSU fans? And w- did you feel like maybe he took a step in that direction during SEC media days? Or what's your overall opinion on him after the SEC media days moving forward into this season? I'll start off with the, the latter. My opinion of him remains the same as it did before. I think he's going to do a very good job at LSU. I, I think he is an intelligent coach. He's a, you know, he's smart. It's been a long time since LSU had a smart head football coach. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying the, the difference when you hear him speak and he can answer questions in complete sentences and doesn't have to go, um, or, um, or, uh, okay. The guy knows his stuff and the players like him. I talked to Jack Besh during the time and he said, Brian Kelly came in and they responded. They've responded to him from day one because here's the thing. He's giving LSU structure, Nick, structure. They haven't had that since the national championship season. Everything went off the rails because the man in charge didn't have structure. And just he let it just get away from him, right? Kelly's coming in bringing structure, bringing discipline, bringing accountability. He's smart. Is it going to take him a while? Yes. I can tell you this. Other media members, he was the guy that a lot of people said, including some SEC officials said, the most impressive of the week was Brian Kelly. So, now, being the most impressive at SEC Media Days and actually being able to turn LSU back into a contender is a different thing. But to to your point, you know, I think Orgeron probably felt more like an LSU guy because he briefly went to LSU and he was from Louisiana and he sounded like he was from Louisiana, right? And the guy from down on the bayou leads your program to a national championship in one of the greatest seasons in college football history. So any guy that's going to come behind him, especially a guy that's from the East Coast and spent the majority of his coaching career coaching in the heart of the Midwest, isn't necessarily going to feel like your guy until he starts winning ball games, and when he starts winning ball games, or if he, you know, beats up on A and M or beats one of those teams that they're not supposed to beat this year, then he's going to feel like your guy. He's RP three Raymond Parsh the third Raymond. Thank you for joining us from the road on your own show. That your namesake <laughs> is on the title of the show, and you joined us, and we appreciate it very much. Thank you for guest hosting my show and then having me on, brother. I hey, hope you have a tremendous weekend. Hey, buddy. look, yesterday I was listening to your show and you were talking about uh, Chick-fil-A and I went to Chick-fil-A. So I don't know if the people at Chick-fil-A are listening, but you were directly responsible for a sale of a chicken sandwich yesterday. So I, I think that should go on your resume. <laughs> Thank you, bud. I'll, I'll let them know. <laughs> All right, man. Raymond Parsh third, RP3, joining us, uh, just coming back from SEC Media Days. Has some great points and and, and – I knew that he was going to say that about Saban because I just feel it. I've never been in the room with the man, but I, you can feel it on TV. When he walks in, he's just like he's running the show. Everybody's there to see him, and, and he's the king of the SEC right now. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back. Cashing tickets, the normal segment that I do on Friday, we're going to do it live in the studio mm-hmm. right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tired of having your pockets emptied out due to bad sports bets? 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't! Listen up, because it's time to take down some notes and get paid with advice from semi-pro gambler Nick Fontenot. I get so nervous when I gamble. I'm so silly. Here is Cashing Tickets on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station, simulcast on Stadium 32.3. We are back on RP3 in company with guest host Nick Fontenot. It is time for the semi-pro gambler to come on for cashing tickets. Nick, how are you, bud? It was going off the rails. <laughs> I mean, we are just we are just going we're going crazy. We're doing cashing tickets live in the studio. I'm filling in for Ray. But for this segment, Hannah, you're going to play the part of Ray, and we're going to talk some gambling. We do cash and tickets every Friday on RP3 and Company. Be sure to check it out every Friday for uh, cash and tickets, where we just talk a little, a little gambling segment, talk about the lines for the weekend, and get you ready to make some money. Hannah, what we got today? So, of course, we start off our main bet, which we talk about all show long. We have the Seattle Mariners over the Houston Astros. Betting lines right now are still equal about Negative 120 for the Astros and plus 100 for the Mariners. Of course, I'm going to pick the Mariners because, hello, so the, Mariners fan. The line's coming down. In the morning when I woke up, it was minus 130 on the Astros. Now it's minus 120. I'm looking at FanDuel right now, minus 118. So the line's coming down a little bit on the Astros. The Mariners at plus 100, that's been consistent all day long. I think it's a slam dunk bet for the Mariners. I don't. I, it's not that I don't think the Astros have a chance to win because they do. The Astros are the better team. No doubt about it. Urquidy on the mound, I don't like him. I've said that all day. I don't like Urquidy on the mound. And I think playing two against the Yankees yesterday, having to fly all the way to Seattle, where Seattle was just chilling, waiting for him to get there, and now they're going to play a game against the Mariners. Mariners on a 14-game winning streak. I like the Mariners in game one, and I think if the Mariners can win game one, they have a good chance to win this series. If they lose game one, I think the Astros are going to sweep. That's what I've been saying all day. I'm sticking to it. Mariners plus 100 I think is a great play today. I think it is too. I think it's it's it would help more. I think for the Mariners if they had you know Ray on the the mound. They have Gonzalez who's now looking for his sixth victory, which yeah, but he stumbled the last time he played. And though he's done well keeping the Astros down to about more, not more than six runs in the last twenty innings, I. It makes me nervous about him, but, you know, we'll see where we go from there. What else kind of works against Seattle, too, in this game is that the fact that they have won 14 in a row. Now, you can say that at any point in the street, right? They're due for a loss, but you could have said that at 10. They're right. due for a loss, and then they won 11. You could have said it at 11, right? You, that at some point in the street, you know, when do you when is it when do you stop saying it? Because, yes, they are due for a loss, no doubt about it. But you could have said that, honestly, at probably six. When they got to six in a row, every game since then they were due for a loss and they just keep winning. So while they are due for a loss and 14 in a row eventually is going to come to an end, they just keep winning. And so you could have said it at 6, you were probably saying it at 8, you were probably saying it at 10, and you're still saying it at 14. Eventually you're going to have to start paying attention to the Mariners if they keep winning these games. Big spot for the Mariners today. Oh, yeah. it's it's it, You know what got a little bit much when I started using the uh, T-Rather-Dozen picture and putting on top of all the kids' heads the different teams that we've beaten? That just... I love my team. We are hilarious on Twitter, but that was just when we were like, okay, they kind of do for a loss. But I think once you get to two sweeps over, you know, the amount of two sweeps over a team, that's when you got to stop. That's that's when you know you're like, oh, they're, they they got to be due for a loss. But I mean, we, but what I, crazy is to me is that already we're what about 
50, 60 days out? 49 days until the Saints For, oh, play. Okay, there we go. 49 days 49. until the Saints play. It's, it's 45 uh, until count, the first. Not that I'm counting down. Oh, yeah, no, no, not at all. 49 days. I'm waiting for the, where's the countdown on your phone? <laughs> I have a countdown for everything. Uh, it's 45 days till first McNeese game, actually. Just found that out yesterday at their caravan they had. Um, they already have out betting lines for football. They have right now for plus 600, Dak Prescott over 4,500 regular season passing yards. C.D. Lamb over nine and a half regular season receiving touchdowns. For I'm like, what? How how do you know this already? Like how can you like how how do you bet on anything or even get prepared to bet on anything for football right now? Still, as you said, 49 days out. Let's talk about some win totals, right? Lots of teams, lots of preseason betting on win totals. It's always fun to see who's gonna win more games than they did last year or fewer games than they did last year. Let's talk about the Saints because that's our team, right? The Saints have been sitting at eight and a half the entire offseason. Over eight and a half right now is plus money. So these people, these Vegas insiders, think that the Saints are going to win fewer games than they won last year when they started the most players ever in the history of the NFL. The Saints had more players start an NFL football game than any team in history, and they were able to win nine games. So Vegas is thinking that they're going to win fewer than nine games. I'm telling you, if you have a farm, get the deed of the farm. Go to the bank, cash in the deed of the farm, whatever they give you for that farm. Go to your local sports book and bet it on Saints over eight and a half. The Saints are winning more than eight games this year. I have them winning 11 or 12, I think is safe to say that they're going to be right about there and competing for the NFC South uh, division crown and competing for the NFC. I know that a lot of national media is not saying that, and Vegas is kind of buying into the whole anti-Saints rhetoric. But plus money for over eight and a half? Think about it. The Saints haven't lost fewer than seven games aside from the Katrina year since the 90s. The 90s. Over 20 years of winning more than seven games. So pencil the Saints in for seven right now. Pencil them in for seven no matter what. They're going a minimum of seven. What it would be seven and ten now. A minimum. That's what you pencil them in for no matter what. They're winning seven games. You're telling me that they just got to find two more wins on the schedule for me to win this bet. I love the Saints over eight and a half wins this year. So other than you know, we have the Saints, everything's coming out already for NFL. That's fantastic. Uh, we have some league is over now, so that's nothing you need to bet on. But they have a bunch of fights this weekend. They have Patty Pimblett versus Jordan Leavitt. I'm not that big fan of boxing and UFC and all that. But do you have any thoughts on it? What the do you fights have this are weekend? In, the fights are in London, Ugh. right? So it's going to be daytime fights tomorrow. So I like Patty Pimblett and I like Molly McCann, Molly the Meatball. Both of those are British fighters fighting in London. So if we did a Molly Patty parlay let's see what that would pay out we'll do a maddie patty parlay that's going to bring you down to minus 157 so molly at minus 460 patty at minus 290 parlay them together brings you at minus 157 so you're not quite at plus money yet but it is bringing the odds down both of them playing in their home country i like both of those fighters to win their fights and and, and cash the tickets molly a huge favorite at minus 460 She's great. That, that she's she's fun to watch. She's small and compact. That's why they call her the meatball. And then Patty is trying to get into that upper echelon of fighters, trying to, trying to be uh, in the championship contender uh, category or conversation. It's not a numbered event, which is what we all pay attention to for UFC. So it's not like UFC 278 or 279. It's right. a fight night. 
which is a free event that you can watch. I believe it's going to be on ESPN. So you can watch it for free. But bet the parlay early tomorrow afternoon. Molly Patty Parlay minus 157. I just heard something about Poirier possibly having another fight. Or Nate Diaz, one of the two. I yeah, I heard Nate something about so one of them having another fight. Diaz, Nate Diaz and oh, who was it? Uh, uh, Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw and Nate Diaz are, are going to be fighting. I believe that's what it was. That's what I read. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. But yes. Nate Diaz is going to be fighting at UFC 279, which is going to be, I believe, either next week or the week after. He's going to be headlining UFC 279. So for cashing tickets on that week, you'll have to remind me, Hannah, to talk about the Nate Diaz fight and see who we're going to win when we get there. That'll be in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm waiting to see if they're actually going to have a fight where it's Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier. That would be, I think, a fantastic fight. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be epic. That would be great. That would, that would and we, be and we, we love our Dustin. We, we, we love our Dustin. I've yet to get the hot sauce. I'm sure I've almost thought about it. I've been very tempted to get some of that Dustin Poirier hot sauce because that just looks good, and the ingredients on the bottle are just fantastic. He's had a tough go of it uh, in the last few fights, so he needs a he needs a good fight to come back and get on on back on the winning track. One more bet before we well, one more topic before we move on. Uh, I think we got James Jasko coming up after yep. this. We're going to talk a little bit of Astros and a little bit of uh, Premier League soccer. But one more thing that I want to talk about is live betting. Real quick, you got to get on the apps and live bet. You got to bet these underdogs. Find an underdog to bet, and when they get up a couple of runs in baseball, cash out. We haven't talked a lot about cashing out on cashing tickets where you can cash out the bet before it ends. But if you get a big underdog and you bet like a plus two ten underdog, and that team gets up one nothing or two nothing. In, in the first or second inning, don't hesitate to cash that out because it's more than likely that team that's better than them is going to come back and win that game. So you don't want to lose out on winning money on the cash out. So we haven't talked about cashing out. Maybe we could talk, get a, do a little bit more a deeper dive into it maybe next week or in a couple of weeks about how to utilize the cashing out and how to really get your maximum bang out of, out of the cashing out because all of these apps on, on, the, on the phone – where you're gambling, have a cash out option, so you're able to really oh, yeah. maximize those plus money lines. But that's cashing tickets for the day. I think it went well. I think it went fantastically well. And what a better way though to start or the really end this whole segment is we actually have our live action update from Brent Musburger. <laughs> so we're gonna take a timeout back with James Yas from the Time Time Podcast. Talk about Premier League, maybe some Astros. But uh, this has been the game, 1037 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 22nd, 1967. The Atlanta Braves establish an MLB record for number of pitchers called upon in one inning. Five used in the ninth inning of a 5-4 to four loss to St. Louis. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Sunbelt Media Days are coming. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is going to take over New Orleans for the Sunbelt Media Days. Tune in Tuesday, July 26th and Wednesday, July 27th as RP3 and Company, Footnotes, and Crunch Time will be broadcasting live from New Orleans for the game's live Sunbelt Media Day coverage presented by Next Home Cutting Edge Realty and the Wetlands. Tune in for the takeover of the Big Easy right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We are going to get into... 
our segment that we had originally scheduled earlier in the day that didn't happen, but we got it now. We got on the line from the Lima Lima Time podcast. James Gasco joins us on the game hotline. James, how are you doing today, man? I'm extremely apologetic, but I'm 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 very well. How are, how are y'all? Doing very well. I, I was I was kind of thinking that you just didn't want to do it because Ray wasn't here, but I'm like, man, he just doesn't know how much fun we're having. You have to get with Hannah. We've been having so much fun today, just kind of winging it, and we're going to wing it again with you here <laughs> uh, on on the segment today. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know the title of your podcast is uh, Lima Lima Time, and I remember there was a game in in 1999 where Lima was going to be going against Randy Johnson. It was Lima and Randy Johnson. Johnson was on the uh, Diamondbacks at the time, I believe. And, and man, we were, we were in Houston. We were going to go to that game, and we ended up going to the, the game after those two guys pitched uh, against each other, and it was uh, Greg Swindell. Do you remember Greg Swindell? Uh, with the uh, yeah, you know, I hate, I hate when, the, like, the pitching mat, when, you, when you're, like, really looking forward to a game and then you see who's pitching – and and you're like, well, I don't want to watch this. Like, I, I went to a, a the the one time that I've been to Yankee Stadium. It was a Yankees Red Sox game, and, and this was like 2007. And you know, there's a lot of Hall of Famers on on the you know the mid 2000s. You know, Yankees and Red Sox, and it was Josh Beckett and Daryl Rasner. And I'm like, this is the worst possible <laughs> matchup you could possibly get. Yeah, no doubt. That, that's what happened to us. So we watched uh, ended up Greg Swindell ended up getting rocked and uh, Tony Womack had an inside the park grandstand. Whatever. That's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, <laughs> let, let's talk about the, uh, the the series yesterday, the two the two game doubleheader and the Yankees and Astros uh, and Astros taking both of those games. I mean, that was big. I kind of felt like they were going to win the first game. I had picked the Yankees to win the second one, but the Astros got it done. What's it mean overall? Is it is it as big of a deal as we've kind of been making it out to be this morning? I don't think it is. Uh, I mean, as, as fun as it is to to think that, you know, how how a, a, a very strange, you know, one off doubleheader, uh, what what sort of impact we like Astros fans would like to think that they're that that beating the Yankees in the manner that they, the Yankees never came to the and, and all seven games that the Yankees and Astros played this season. Uh, the Yankees never started an inning with the lead. Of course, you know, there were there were two walk offs. You'd like to think that there were that, that this would lead to some sort of psychological impact on the Yankees, but but it really doesn't. If anything, it's gonna you know should there be, which is sort of looking likely, um, should there be a Yankees Astros ALCS again, um, you know no one's no one's gonna look to what happened in June and July, you know, as, as sort of a, a guide to to how that series is gonna go. It it feels good. Uh, and, and I think we can all agree that when Yankees fans are mad, then then the world is a little bit of a better place. Agreed. Uh, but I don't I don't think it has it has a ton to do with, uh, you know, w- w- with anybody, really. Well, we've been talking a lot of Astros today, really more Astros than I thought we were going to talk, I guess, because that series is so important and they're going to Seattle and all that stuff. So we're, we're not going to talk Astros. We are going to talk some Premier League. Hannah said. You're big on the Premier League, and Ray doesn't really talk Premier League. So we're going to bring in some English Premier League <laughs> talk as we set up for the new season that should be uh, should be starting up uh, soon. So my first question for you when it comes to Premier League is, like, who do you support? Who is your team of choice? So so I am a I am a Leeds United fan. OK. Uh, and and there for there are some similarities or, or there were some similarities between between Leeds United and the Astros. 
uh, which made for some, my leisure time was not fun uh, for, for a number of years. So, so Leeds United, this is the, they narrowly avoided getting relegated. Uh, I mean, it came down to like the last game of the season uh, and, and there was some vomit, uh, you know, and, and some tears when, when they stayed up. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm a Leeds United fan. Are you, are you, a, are you a premier league guy? Yeah. I like Liverpool. Um, I, that's, that's not a bad time to be a Liverpool yeah, it's, fan. That's, it's really good time. They've, they've had some, some, uh, some bad years, but I guess since we're going to talk premier league, I want to ask you, I, I think that you follow it a lot closer than I do. I'm, I'm not deep into it, but I did follow it for a while in the early two thousands. And during that time, Manchester United was running the show. I mean, they were winning every year. They were up top. Now they're not. They're in the middle, sometimes towards the bottom. Like, what's going on with Manchester United? And I think a lot of casual soccer fans think Manchester United is still this elite powerhouse in international soccer, and it's not. So, like, what's happened? Why have they dropped off so much? So Alex Ferguson was their manager for for a really long time, and they won absolutely everything. Uh, and then and then he he retired, and it's, it's not a – it's not a, a, a Phil Fulmer situation or, or a Mac Brown uh, where, you know, Tennessee or Texas going, going 10 and two just wasn't getting it done. It's the, you know, the, the, the Nebraska football. Um, and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to refer to, to, to Manchester United as, as the Tennessee or Texas or Nebraska of the premier league. Uh, the fans expectations are just higher than what they should be. And Manchester city and Liverpool are just, better run organizations and United again, Alex Ferguson retired. He's one of the greatest managers in, 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 in soccer history. Um, but they just kind of thought that there, that that would just be a little bit of a speed bump. And then they go back to winning everything. They've, they've spent a, a crap ton of money, extremely poorly. Uh, <clears throat> but, but their fans just sort of think that they should be challenging for the title. And that's nowhere near the case. Manchester City is kind of the the gold standard now. And I remember when Manchester United was having their big run in those years that I talked about, Manchester City wasn't even mentioned. I mean, they were mm-hmm. I mean, were they even in the Premier League, barely in the Premier League, like barely. bottom dwellers of the league. And now they're talking about they might win the trouble this year. Like how much does Manchester City's emergence as the top dog kind of affected what Manchester United was able to do? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. The it, it it affects them because they're 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 neighbors and Manchester City was always referred to as the the they were the nosy neighbors uh, that that they were just kind of there and and United beat the crap out of them regularly. Um, where it changed was when was when Manchester City was bought by essentially like Saudi Arabian oil money. Uh, and they pumped, you know, there's no salary cap. You can, you can spend whatever you want. You, there's, there's no losing draft picks cause there's not a draft, but you know, there's in, in baseball and, and, and football and, and pretty much every major sport here, there are some financial rules that you have to go by. And that just doesn't exist in, in the premier league or in, in, in European soccer in general. So they just pumped money into the team and, and, but they also had, you know, made really smart decisions as far as who their manager was and, and Pep Guardiola uh, and, and the players that they brought in. So, so no, it's, it's very much been a divergent path uh, really since the beginning of, of the, the 2010s, uh, as far as how those two Manchester teams have sort of um, 
you know, how the, how it, how it's all played out for him. We're talking to James Jasko, who normally is on to talk Astros, but we're talking Premier League soccer, which is fun and and it's very fun, very exciting. It's fun. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, Hannah's having a, a really good time. You mentioned uh, the Saudi oil money coming in to soccer. Obviously, it's been very big. Uh, internationally all across the leagues. Um, I wanted to ask you about Newcastle, who's also got an influx of that Saudi type of type of backing. What What's keeping them from sort of becoming a, a top four team, Champions League contenders, and kind of making that same kind of run that Manchester United made, or Manchester City made, I'm sorry. I think for Newcastle, it's, in in part, there's a little bit of skepticism as far as like, the the team in in general and you, they, they've got the same sort of financial backing that manchester city has but but in in december it looked like newcastle might get relegated uh and so i think that if, if you are a top player and newcastle comes calling um you're like well, i don't know i don't know about that team let, let, let's let's give it another couple of years and see if they're for real um and also, you know, I mean, if, if you have the choice, I've been to Newcastle and, and it's, it's not, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful city and, and to all the Newcastle friendly listeners in Southwest Louisiana, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to compare it. I, I, it's hard, it's hard to compare. It's just sort of like a working class blue collar. It, it's freaking cold. It's up in the Northeast of England. Um, you know, if, if you have a choice between, you know, Newcastle or, or, or a team in London or, or, you know, Manchester or, or even some other, you know, team in, in on the continent that the, the city's gorgeous and the weather's a little bit better, you know, you, it, it's going to give you some pause. I think that, that this time next year, we'll, we'll talk a little bit differently about Newcastle because another, another good solid year uh, in the Premier League, and and I think it changes the attractiveness of of that destination for for players around the world. Man, we're out of time, and it sucks because I have so many. I, have, I, <laughs> I want to ask about Arsenal. I want to ask about Chelsea. I wanted to ask about Leicester. Like I have tons of questions to ask, and maybe we'll get to do it another time. I know Ray's not going to ask you any Premier League questions because he doesn't hey, know anything about it. So. I mean, I am actually going in, maybe starting up a like five minutes with five names there as a go. thing. So maybe I'll Ooh. go in a. I'll bring I'll bring in the the, the soccer talk. We might awesome. start in August, so I might be able to start that for us. So James, worry, thank you James, so much you. for your time today. I know we didn't get you at seven, but we got you on, and it was it was a blast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate all it. Right. Sorry about sorry about this morning. That's all right. James Yasko from the Lima Lima Time podcast. Normally talking Astros. Normally, uh, you know, comes on to talk Astros. We talked a little bit of Astros, but uh, we wanted to get that Premier League in. So that was fun. That was a good conversation. I have tons of, of questions because I, I kind of want to try to get into it this year. We're going to come back and wrap up this show. We've had a blast, but it's just about that time. So we'll come back and we'll we'll sign off. It's the the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers, Houston Astros, and Premier League. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. One final segment. I'm Nick Fontenot. I'm in for RP3, and this has been a blast. One of the one of the funner is funner a word. Funner is not a word. It's more fun. Yes. One of the more fun uh, guest host experiences that I've had. My first time ever working with Hannah. And it was it, it was a joy to to work with Hannah. We were just kind of talking about how it just breezed by. No prep. And you might be nervous coming into a show with no prep or nothing to talk about, but you just when you wing it, you just the conversation just flows and we had a blast. Oh yeah. It was a, it was a definitely a lot of fun. I think it's always with a guest host more than when you have like your regular host. 
it makes the time fly like fine faster because it's like a regular schedule like okay have ray then i have foot have ray then have foot every single day but you have somebody you know having you or having like jim gazzola or faust it's like whoa new person yeah yeah, hello (laughs) talk to me correct correct more more uh you have to be pay more attention to what's going on because hey I can fly off the cuff at any moment. Like this thing could just go <laughs> off the rails. We we tried to keep it on the tracks for the most part. I think we did a good job. Thanks to James Yasko for joining us, talking a little Premier League, talking a little bit of Astros. Also, thanks to Raymond Parsh the Third, better known as RP3. He joined us coming in from Media Days to talk about that and just an overall good time. Started the day with a, a good Starbucks drink, which is always good. Uh, oh, I yeah. texted you yesterday to find out what you wanted. You said you didn't like Starbies, but I ended up getting you the drink that you said, and, and I think it ended up being good. I am wired on caffeine right now and I'm ready to go I could do another three hours but we're not going to do that we're going to turn it over to footnotes and I'm sure he's going to have plenty of opinions uh, on the Houston Astros he should be be happy it'll be a glorious uh, glorious glorious Friday he'll be happy for like a little while but then he is going (laughs) he is going to complain a lot about the Astros having to fly to Atlanta I know that he's going to do that I'm not not Atlanta Seattle he's flying to Seattle He's flying away, basically. Flying to China or Asia or whatever he calls it. So he's going to have lots of complaining to do. And that's what people like. That's why people listen to Foot. I listen listen to Foot just about every day. And uh, when when he's happy, those shows aren't good. It's the shows when he's upset and angry. Oh, or the, yeah. Or the show. So they That's won. you get 100 people listening to him at once because yeah. he's yelling about something. The Astros won two big games against the Yankees. I guarantee you he's not going to talk a whole lot about that. He's just going to talk about them going to Seattle. So we'll let Foot come in and take over. I've been Nick Fontenot. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on RP3 and Company. It's the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.